Good morning again, honorable members. You are all very welcome to this meeting. Everyone who has joined us this morning. This is a meeting of the Portfolio Committee on Health, and we are receiving our last two presentations, oral presentations of the National Health Insurance Bill. We will be having two presentations this morning. Um, we would also want to welcome uh, the members from the, the ministry will be present this morning. I do not see the Bongisani present this morning. It's usually in many does join us. I hope you will give me an indication or just uh, Joe Cutler will give me an indication that he's joined us. Also, welcome to Mr. Joe Cutler, the PLO. Minister, also the members of the uh, department official who joined us this morning, members of the media, and members of the uh, presentation teams of both the DA and the ANC. Ms. Majalamba, if you could just give us attendance and apologies this morning. Thank you. Good morning and thank you, Chair. Present is Dr. Jacobs, Ms. Keller, Mr. Sokacha, Dr. Harvard. Ms. Clark, Ms. Wilson, Ms. Ishmael, Dr. Tembe Kwayo, and Mr. Van Staden. Uh, Ms. Chiro will join the meeting later, and uh, Ms. Sukers has submitted an apology. She won't be attending at all. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Can you also give me an indication, Ms. Majalamba, of any uh, media coverage this morning? I see we do have the parliamentary live streaming system. I'm still waiting for Yoli to confirm the media coverage. Thank you. Thank you very much. Honorable members, before we proceed, let me just uh, remind you that this virtual meeting is deemed to be the precinct of parliament and therefore constitutes a meeting of the committee of the National Assembly for official purposes only. In addition to the rules of virtual sitting, the rules of the National Assembly, including the rules of debate, apply. Members enjoy the same powers and privileges that apply in the sitting of the National Assembly. Members should equally note that anything said in the virtual platform deemed to be said to the House and may be ruled upon. All members who have logged in shall be considered to be present and are requested to mute the microphones and only unmute when recognized to speak. This is because the microphones are very sensitive and will pick up noise which might disturb the attention of other members. When recognized to speak, please unmute your microphone and connect your video. Members may make use of the icons on the bar at the bottom of the screen, which has an option that allows the member to put a piece on her hand to raise points of order. The Secretariat will assist in alerting the chairperson to members requesting In using the virtual system, members are urged to refrain or desist from unnecessary points of order for interjection. We will now uh, continue with the business of the day. We have Ms. Sidiwe Kwakume, Mr. Bernard, all of the DA to do the presentation. You must 
us for two or three weeks and now you're back with us. <laughs> I can't, you can't stay away. <laughs> you can't stay away on the world today. Thank you very much. <laughs> if you can introduce the rest of your team and then carry on with the Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Jacobs, and uh, good uh, uh, morning to the parliamentary uh, team um, and to the members of the Petroleum Committee and everybody else. Uh, this morning, the Democratic Alliance will be making our submission as we had requested to do so. Um, you know, when this process was opened back in 2019, I'm joined by Advocate Varna Horn, my colleague who serves on the Justice Committee. Um, and, uh, and the two of us will be making the presentation this morning. And so with your permission, uh, Chairperson, uh, we would draw, would like to get, we would like to jump in. Thank you. So I'm just trying to make it a slideshow. <clears throat> right. Uh, thank you very much. Um, we're going to get started. Then we you would we will be able to see. Um, that the uh, offering that we have here is divided into two. Um, I will be doing the introductory remarks and then my colleague, um, uh, Advocate Horn, will be able to start talking about the legal challenges with the bill. And then I will then conclude with some of the more substantive uh, issues that we have with the bill. Uh, As I think it's uh, first and foremost, I think it's quite important for the purposes of this committee because of the work that you do for us to unequivocally state that uh, we support the, not only do we support uh, universal healthcare, but we are, or we believe that we are the advocates um, of universal healthcare. It's how the world, the rest of the world is moving. Uh, that's the direction that the world is moving in. And we think that it's absolutely important that South Africa does the same. Also, as particularly considering that the deep inequalities that exist within our healthcare system, our view is that this is the way in which we would be able to equalize and make sure that all South Africans have access to uh, quality healthcare. However, the Democratic Alliance, again, categorically does not support the NHI bill. And I think it's an important point to make and a distinction here to make that the NHI bill is but a piece of legislation. It is not universal health care itself. It is a tool that the drafters sought to make, um, uh, the drafters sought to realize universal health care. And therefore, once if the bill were to fail, it does not mean that South Africa or at least the people who have uh, identified what is wrong with the bill do not support the UHC as a principle. And so and what this vehicle, which is the NHI bill, we believe we do not support the bill for a number of reasons, which we will go through today. But more importantly, we believe that the bill as it is drafted today 
And right now, it will not reach its intended objectives. And that for us is the big and overarching reason that uh, it will not be able to bring about universal health care, which is what is needed. Uh, we know that for the universal health care to be successful, we need a capable state, political stability. We also need a particular economic environment. And so we will go into some of these things later in the presentation about how in the current state of our country, firstly, UHC would, would, would struggle to take root. But more importantly, this bill is not going to bring about um, quality access to quality health care for most of South Africans. And instead, what it will do, it will open up um, this fund that the bill seeks to uh, establish to massive large scale corruption. But perhaps before we get into those, um, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's get started with the particulars um, and the legalities with the bill at the moment. Um, Verna, I'm gonna hand over to you. Thank you, Sir Vive, uh, and uh, thank you, Dr. Jacobs and um, members of the Portfolio Committee for this um, opportunity. It's an, at this stage, an interesting experience to sit at the other side of the, of the table. Um, so, uh, Chair and, and members of the committee, we have identified in our analysis of the bill a number of, of uh, really material issues, constitutional in nature largely. We firstly have the view that the bill was tagged incorrectly and that it has a massive financial consequence, but more importantly, given the fact that in Section 49, um, it contemplates additional tax um, uh, to be imposed on the on the citizenry of this country. We strongly have the view that that specific uh, uh, provision in the bill necessitated a, ta a tagging as a money bill. And um, it is right now that incorrect tagging ultimately is material, uh, a material flaw. In, in the process of legislation. So we, we urge that that be, be revisited. Then secondly, and at the outset, uh, Chair, we are very worried that uh, Section 27 and Section 7 of the Bill of Rights are not uh, given effect to or complied with in, in terms of the way the bill is phrased at the moment. These two sections makes it clear that on the one hand, everyone, and on the other one, and all people in our country are uh, entitled to the benefits uh, that would flow from the way we give effect to the Bill of Rights. So the, the, the limited way in which asylum seekers would enjoy access to, to quality healthcare services, in our view, cannot be regarded as anything else but unconstitutional. Um, then another uh, section 72F, um, in our view, in an unconstitutional way, undermines, dilutes, and um, ultimately defeats the provisions in our constitution which gives uh, a provincial governments a competency and a, a parallel competency in respect of, of healthcare, the way in which this provision centralizes decision-making around key uh, structures that is to be set up by the NHI bill in the national minister, in our view, ultimately will render 
uh, this provision as well as, as unconstitutional, and we urge that this be addressed during the deliberations and the redraft under the guidance of the of the portfolio committee. Um, other concerns regarding the powers of the minister. We firstly of the view that the, the if one reads in totality the powers of the minister, but more specifically the powers the minister enjoy regarding the making of regulations, that this undermines, threatens, and ultimately in an unconstitutional way negates the, the principle of separation of powers, which runs as a golden threat through our constitution. If one looks at section 55 um, of the bill, it's quite clear that the, the matters on which the minister is, is allowed to make regulations is not merely administrative in nature. Some are executive in nature and others are legislative in nature. And therefore, for the bill to merely require from the minister to table regulations um, in parliament without spelling out any oversight or uh, uh, parallel functions for parliament in order to, to adopt or reject uh, regulations in our view will be fatal if one reads that uh, in line with the principle of separation of powers. The second issue is the, the powers of a minister to appoint the board. Um, now, so we're strongly of the view, given the fact that the, the board ultimately seems to be uh, an oversight and advisory institution, uh, which in an ideal world must, uh, must have that perfect tension or create that perfect tension in order to, to deliver quality services and optimal functionality. We strongly have the view that, that it cannot be left that the minister, without carefully delineated processes, are allowed to appoint the board. So in, our most, in the most recent times, we've seen from the Zondo Commission report that has already been released, Jay, that we as a country have a massive problem when ministers enjoy a, a more or less unfettered power to appoint boards even though those were in respect of SOEs, and this is strictly speaking not an SOE, we say that it's very similar in nature. And we say also that, that based on, on, on what, what we've seen unfolding in the years of state capture, Parliament now, on the one hand, has a duty to ensure that public participation, parliamentary oversight and accountability is in place in respect of appointments of boards. But we also say that we most likely are at the point now where our courts will, will for sure not turn a blind eye if the provisions around the minister's authority to appoint the board is attacked. Um, and, and that it, would, it, it is incumbent upon parliament to learn from the mistakes of the past. Um, then furthermore, the, the, the so-called investigative unit um, is a big worry to us. There's firstly quite clearly a, a, a very clear lack of independence on the part of this unit in the way it is currently phrased in the bill. But we're also worried about the duplication of functions, functions that already rests with the Public Service Commission, the Public Protector and the SIU. And in a, I want to say, a worst case scenario, I think we, we believe there's also a case to be made out that it can encroach on the 
on the uh, the focused and reserved powers of the South African Police Service to to uh, as the single body in the country responsible for the investigation of criminal offences. And we urge the committee to to relook at that and and to strengthen. Um, uh, those provisions in order to do not fall foul of, of these, these uh, trap holes. Uh, then a very important further objection from a constitutional point of view, Chair, we have is the erosion and, and uh, the possible abolishment of choice through the NHI bill. So it's quite clear that the, the bill will have a massive impact on the continued existence of private medical schemes and private medical care. And we are of the view that if one looks at the, the, the very simple way in which the minister enjoys authority to ultimately determine once the bill is fully implemented, what healthcare uh, uh, services may be rendered in a, in a private manner, that ultimately it if not in practice, it at least holds the very real danger that we will see abolishment and prohibition of private healthcare by stealth. Um, and, and that can not be uh, what this parliament uh, intends, we hope, um, for, a, for a variety of reasons, which I will unpack just now. Uh, so it is about the choice uh, patients and citizens must enjoy, but it's also about the choice medical practitioners, in our view, must enjoy. And in that sense, the, the uh, freedom and the right to practice a, a, a trade or a profession as enshrined in the Bill of Rights, in our view, will be or could be redefined to a point where the only re real choice uh, people will enjoy is whether to practice as medical practitioners or not. And um, if the further uh, one, one does not even want to call it regulate, regulatory uh, framework around medical practice is to be left to the minister alone, then in our view, it is uh, more than a limitation um, at more than a, a justified limitation on their freedom to practice trade or profession. Um, it is really a, 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 a holds the potential that this, this freedom be taken away altogether. Um, and in that sense, we're of the view that, that it's not even a limitation, but even if it is regarded as a limitation, it cannot be a justifiable limitation. Um, so, in 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 the in 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 addition to the what I've just said now about the uh, erosion of choice, chair, we have also a, a, a massive problem in the way that it would seem this bill seeks to attain equality in respect of healthcare in a regressive manner, and in our view, uh, if one embarks on a contextual interpretation of the Bill of Rights, um, and if one further takes into account that the, the whole issue of quality ordinarily centers on what is called unfair discrimination, to which some people are subjected because of the uh, 
the uh, let's say the the actions of others, be it the state or private citizens, then we say that uh, in this scenario, it is quite different in the sense that it would now seem that in order to attain equality, uh, the bill seeks to take away uh, privileges and rights already enjoyed by some, which is regressive in nature and in our view cannot be justified in a, in a scenario where the, the inequality is really caused by inadequacies in terms of the current system. So therefore the solution in our view in a, in a lawful and a constitutionally compliant way cannot be to take away from, from some who enjoy more than others. It, it must always be focused on uh, in increasing the the uh, the uh, opportunities uh, uh, that those who have historically uh, not enjoyed the same uh, uh, opportunities. Uh, so uh, an increase in opportunities is what the bill should aim for. But what we rather see is that it works in a regressive way, um, circling back to the the what we see as the uh, possible abolishment of private healthcare by stealth, it, it seeks to regressively take away that which some enjoy in terms of access to, to medical healthcare. And, and in that sense, we're of the view that, that it cannot pass constitutional muster. In this, um, and in this respect, we large, lastly want to point out that the limitation clause makes it quite clear that any limitation must uh, uh, can only be justified if it is a limitation that is to be reconciled with an open society. And in our view, uh, if one looks at the the accepted characteristics of an open society, the 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 main characteristic of an open society is individual freedom or autonomy. And um, based on what we've pointed out up to now, we, we, we are strongly of the opinion that this bill does not merely limit freedoms, but in many respects takes it away, and therefore it, it, it will fall foul um, of the requirement that it is not justifiable in an open society. Thank you, Chair and Sir Wewe. Thank you, um, Advocate Horn. Um, and so now, uh, colleagues, I'm going to go into the um, more the, the specifics of the bill. Um, as you've seen, we've uh, separated our, our, our presentation. Uh, Dr. Um, Advocate Horn has uh, gone through what are some of the key constitutional concerns we have with the piece of legislation in itself. And now we're going to go through the specific elements um, of the bill, particularly why it is that the Democratic uh, Alliance uh, opposes this bill. Number one, and I think more crucially, most crucially, uh, Section 25 of the bill uh, talks about the establishment uh, of a benefits advisory committee, um, which will be which will be responsible for determining and reviewing what healthcare services and benefits there are 
we think it's important that in the in the draft legislation that this be it really be included because of course what we are asking South Africans to do is to entrust that uh, this benefits advisory committee will be able to really uh, craft together uh, a, a full and comprehensive package of care. And so we think that the bill here, particularly this section, is vague as to what services and medications will be covered or excluded under the NHI. And this is quite important when one wants to look at the buy-in for a legislation of this nature. Number two, while, uh, as uh, Advocate Horn has said, um, while the establishment of the NHI fund will be separate um, in the, under the separate, a separate uh, uh, section of the constitution. The reality is that it is managed in a way that looks exactly like the ones, the way that SOEs are managed. And we cannot, in the uh, deliberation about this bill, divorce South Africa from the, the history that we have of uh, poorly managed SOEs, many of whom have needed uh, bailouts and many of whom have essentially failed in their core mandate. And uh, what is quite evident, even from the uh, State Capture Commission, is that SOEs, and particularly ones that run well, need a capable state with political stability. And unfortunately here, colleagues, we are unable to have a, a, um, a, 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 an entity like this one uh, go towards the, uh, you know, look like uh, ESCOM, Denal, or the SABC, because of course, we are looking at the uh, lives of people. And so uh, we are opposed to the way in which the bill proposes the establishment of a fund which will run uh, as a state, which will be run as a state owned entity um, through the pooling of public funds, especially because there aren't enough accountability mechanisms to make sure that that fund is run well and that it is not stolen, which I'll get to uh, shortly. Uh, we also have a, a, a concern, particularly here with the referral pathways that the bill uh, speaks of. Section 7 of the bill compels users of the fund to access healthcare services at a primary healthcare level as an entry into the system. Now, our view is that because there has never been an investment into the healthcare system, um, essentially what this bill is saying is putting the car, the horse before the cart, because to be to impose that all South Africans must first start at a primary healthcare level is to assume that all South Africans have access to quality primary health care um, in all the different parts of the country uh, within the five kilometer radius, as is per the international norm. And we know um, that this is not in fact the case. And so we believe that the imposition of this section of the bill is both a burdensome provision and in fact may place unnecessary pressure on the healthcare system where some services are closer to the people than others. And so we believe that it can even um, be a hindrance to the access of care for, uh, for citizens. The bill also imposes conditions on which treatment may be refused and uh, uh, imposes, uh, it does not allow for an obtaining of a second opinion or seeking alternative forms of treatment. Uh, well, in section seven of the bill, it states that uh, a healthcare service provider may, uh, on a, a number of these uh, provisions here, um, really decline giving somebody the kind of medical care that they need 
um, either on the basis that they don't think it's necessary or that it's not cost effective or that um, that whatever product that person needs is not in fact included in the formulary. And, um, and our view here is that treatment can be because of course people are people. Um, having that section imposed in the bill can be a problem because what you can have is you can have healthcare providers refusing people treatment on unreasonable ground. Also, it means that people may not be able to obtain a second opinion. And there's a reason why um, that is provided for in, in, in a healthcare setting. And so we don't think that the imposition of that section of the bill uh, is necessary. And actually, we think that it will go against uh, the principles of ensuring that people are able to access um, the healthcare when they need to. And then lastly, particularly um, on this section, it's unclear also um, whether or not, um, you know, how the issue of 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 of, uh, of, of emergency and critical medical situations will be handled if this uh, section of the bill is included. And then we also have a particular concern around how healthcare providers can treat patients. Section thirty nine states that a healthcare provider must adhere to treatment protocols and guidelines, including prescribing medicines and procuring healthcare products from the formulary. Um, we have the view that, again, this may limit um, the healthcare professional's ability to find alternative forms of treatment. We know that currently healthcare providers are guided by various groupings and the various um, bodies that they belong to. And they are ethically bound by the, the bodies that they belong to. But we believe that the, the inclusion of Section 39 here um, in, this, in, this, in this part really does limit the agency and even stifles um, uh, uh, innovation uh, in a sense in the healthcare sector because it's very, very much formulaic. And uh, number six, one of the things that we're also very concerned about is the clear erosion of provincial powers. Um, again, I mean, I think this is not just about saying the erosion of provincial powers is a problem in and of itself. But uh, first of all, the provincial powers are enshrined in the existing National Healthcare Act of 2003. And uh, ultimately, that act says and states that provinces are responsible for their running and the rolling out of healthcare services, while national government is responsible for setting uh, policy and for setting the vision and uh, allocating funding um, in, the, in, the, in the form of equitable share. But what this bill then does is that it completely blurs those lines and undermines those provincial powers because there are some instances where the national department may have to take on the powers of some central hospitals. We are of the view that this is uh, rather problematic because, of course, we think that it's important that healthcare services are closest to the people. What we don't want is a situation where there's a centralization of the provision of healthcare and that it is completely removing um, uh, 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 the actual users of healthcare from those who are providing the healthcare service. We think that the closer the healthcare service is to the people, the better it is for them in terms of healthcare outcomes. Then the other problem that is uh, that we've identified in the bill, uh, Chairperson, is the issue around the fragmentation of the healthcare system. As I've stated in the previous slide, 
in some parts of the uh, bill, it's envisioned that particularly tertiary hospitals will be under the management of the national department, while other hospitals, perhaps regional hospitals and primary healthcare facilities will be under the management of provinces and, and, and local governments. Our view is that this should be, we should not be moving in this direction. We should be able to have uh, primary health care uh, uh, facilities all the way up to tertiary health care, all the way to tertiary hospitals run by provinces so that, again, um, it's not cumbersome for somebody who, um, you know, who needs to be able to access not only their documents, who, who needs to be able to access their medical records, that the system runs well. And I, we think that here it really takes it takes away the efficiency of having um, a very well uh, run uh, uh, healthcare system. And of course, there's a lot of literature, uh, chairperson, around the fragmentation of the healthcare system and how to combat that and how essentially to try and 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 uh, and and not do that. And we think that the bill essentially does the, the exact uh, that exact opposite. It takes the power away from people from being able to hold those who provide the services closer to them. And um, as uh, as uh, uh, Advocate Horn at the beginning has stated, that this does remove um, the autonomy of South Africans to choose their own health care, um, you know, as it provides for the Department of Health as the sole provider of, of health care in the country. And uh, uh, basically, private health care providers will be contracted by the state. And so while this in itself may not uh, seem like a massive issue for many people, the reality is that we're of the view that we need to get our healthcare service to the level where everybody can choose where they want to go and that the quality of healthcare services is not any different whether you go to a private healthcare facility or a public healthcare facility. Then I want to uh, then zoom in in particular to the poor governance structures which are introduced by this bill. Uh, under Section 12, the board will be the board will be established, and this board will be uh, will be mandated to to manage and govern the fund in accordance to the PFMA. However, in terms of Section 12 of the bill, the 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 minister is empowered to appoint suitable candidates to the board after recommendations are made by an ad hoc advisory panel. Now, we're of the view that this is firstly very poor uh, a governance model to have a politician appoint a board that will essentially manage a multi-billion rand fund uh, that will really manage the entire healthcare system of the entire country is a recipe for disaster. Um, there's no way, there are no checks and balances here where we are able to see where the, you know, where perhaps, you know, the, there's an inclusion of parliament appointing the board, which is something that could be considered, where at the very least the board has some level of autonomy and some level of, uh, um, of, of, of independence. But here we've got, we see a situation where the board is appointed in a political, by a political principle. And, uh, and, and this section of the bill really does give the Minister of Health unvetted powers. And we don't think that this is this useful when it comes to governance. And I do want to hasten to add here, uh, colleagues and chairperson, that it's important as lawmakers that we don't legislate uh, with the view that we will, you will get the best uh, uh, person for the job. You legislate with the view or at least with the worst possible minister in your mind. Because if you legislate 
um, for the best possible minister in your mind, then you will not be able to put legislation in place that will make sure that you protect actually the, the public finances. So it's important to be able to say, how do we build in accountability mechanisms? We saw during COVID corruption what happened. And so we've got to make sure that we, we, we take the lessons um, that, were, that we were able to see uh, all of us there. And this is a very important uh, provision there. And then um, the, the other issue that we have taken on um, with the bill is under Section 32, where the minister is empowered to introduce proposed amendments to the National Health Care Act. I want to just to say here that with the current bill, it's, it's unclear as to how provisions of other existing legislation will be dealt with, considering the fact that should this bill go ahead, certain sections of the National Health Care Act then will, will cease to be um, relevant at all. Then the next, there's no reasonable accountability measures uh, as the investigating unit is situated within the fund, which is effectively managed by the minister. Again, very poor governance models. And if you read any kind of literature around how you build accountability mechanisms, I mean, this is possibly one of the worst because you've got a situation where the board is appointed by the minister um, and only by a recommendation. A recommendation is not strong enough. Um, only, you know, he's, he, he, a recommendation is made to him. He gets to choose, him or her gets to choose um, the board. And then the investigating unit, which will essentially be investigating any possible corruption, uh, will essentially be, be located within the NHI fund office. Our view is that this is not an independent body and uh, it's not protected from undue influence. And considering just the, how much money will be in this fund, we think that this is wholly inadequate and uh, should not be considered at all. Then there is uh, also no clarity uh, for us on the um, composition of the investigating unit. If you look at section 42 um, of, the, of the act, um, and so we are worried again about the impartiality of this unit because it's quite important. We've seen the continuous hollowing out of, um, of some of our criminal justice system um, entities. And the last thing we need uh, is a toothless uh, unit that sits within a political office to try and investigate corruption if it arises. And then we had also several concerns relating to the eligibility eligibility of the uh, board members. We think some of the provisions in the in, in section 13 are rather broad and uh, could essentially be open to abuse and manipulation. And so and uh, and so we really think that once again, this is not a process that should be managed by a minister. Um, we do not believe that this is a function that should sit within the executive and that uh, we think that this appointment pro process essentially bypasses parliamentary structures where we can, in effect, help make sure that parliament it has an oversight role to play. But uh, you cannot have the minister uh, as both the player, the referee and everything else um, when, when, in fact, there are parliamentary structures that can uh, uh, play that role. And then the other section of the, just want to check on my time. Um, the other part of the bill that we are concerned about is the imposition of the proof of address for the registration of the fund in terms of section four. Um, we believe that again, very simply, I mean, in a country like ours, 
with deep inequality the way that we do, it might be a barrier to access to many South Africans who may not be able to provide the required documentation to receive access to services. Our view is that uh, this, uh, this section is added and really shouldn't be, um, considering the myriad of reasons that the Department of Health even is aware of that many people may not be able to produce this uh, proof of registration. Then, uh, and more and uh, more importantly also, I mean, as the, my colleague had stated this right at the beginning with some of our legal concerns, but Section uh, 4.2 of the bill also determines that asylum seekers and illegal foreigners will only be entitled to emergency medical services. Now, Section 27 of the Constitution states very clearly that everyone has the right to health care. And it does not expressly exclude anybody on the basis or on the grounds of the status as either an illegal foreigner or an asylum seeker. And so we believe that uh, simply saying they will only be um, uh, given uh, access to emergency medical care, which in effect is not even defined in the bill, we believe that it's actually in contravention of this section of the constitution and uh, is discriminatory in nature. Then um, the other the reason that we've stated here, it's clear that medical aids um, will cease to exist. Um, however, what we, we are unclear of, again, is whether or not there will be an, a, a scenario where the medical aids and the private healthcare sector with the public healthcare sector can coexist um, and what the role of medical schemes will be. Because again, I think it's important to note some of the lessons that came from COVID-19 that in fact, it's not useful um, to vilify the one sector and uh, to play it up against another. If we saw how COVID-19 was managed, we saw that in effect, what really worked was that a collaboration between the private sector and the public sector is really what pulled us through in some of these moments. Then the rationale of pooling funds for the NHI, our view here is that uh, the, this uh, rationale is in fact uh, not feasible, um, but also more importantly, we don't believe that it, it goes to the nub of the problem. Uh, pulling funds and throwing money at the problem doesn't fix the challenges, which is what we said right at the beginning. To so say it's essentially what you need is a system overhaul. You need to overhaul the entire healthcare system to make sure that from primary healthcare level all the way to a tertiary healthcare level, you've built in systems in place and you've made sure that there's investment infrastructure and the like and accountability, and accountability mechanisms. But what is not going to help you is simply pulling funds and throwing money at the problem when the systemic challenges have not been dealt with. And so we're of the view that there are many other issues that need to be dealt with. And this bill is very myopic in that it only deals with a funding model, but does not deal with how do we bring about real uh, universal health care. Then uh, very importantly, as well, Chairperson, we've got a massive issue with this bill in, 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 in so far as it imposes um, a, an additional tax burden in South Africa. Number one, we believe that South Africans have already been uh, squeezed dry. A lot of South Africans are stretched. The tax base that this bill will rely on is shrinking by the day. 
And we believe that it is really impractical to expect South Africans to have an additional tax burden um, imposed on them. And uh, we are of the view, as you'll hear right at the end of my presentation, that there is a way to overhaul the system in a way that can take into consideration our current budgetary allocation and how do we and how we do that? But uh, to impose a, another tax burden on South Africans is really, a, particularly at a time like this, is honestly probably possibly could be a death sentence for many. And uh, then the other issue, of course, um, is that as the bill stands, I mean, NHI is unaffordable and it's fiscally unaffordable, as has been confirmed by Treasury. Uh, and as we know, over the past two and a half years, we've been in constant contact with Treasury, where Treasury has, in fact, been able, has said categorically that uh, fiscally the NHI cannot be funded. And as we've seen over the past two and a half years as well, that uh, in the budget allocation, we've seen that there's been a defunding or a lack of funding for NHI. There's been essentially no movement because we believe that there's no money. And so that's why we're of the view that um, massive aspects of this bill are not just are simply not going to take off. So unless the committee uh, goes back to the drawing board, we're not going to be able to see any kind of change in the way in which our healthcare system is done. And um, again, the other the principal point to make here, I'm going to run a little bit faster. The principal point to make here is that there were pilot studies that were done with regards to the effectiveness of NHI. And effectively, I mean, as per the report that we saw, the NHI pilot project failed. So it makes no sense to ask why then the department or at least the committee in, at this stage would uh, okay a bill that is has effectively, when you looked at its testing stages, you realize that there were many failures. For instance, inadequate planning was one of them, um, insufficient mechanisms to, pro to, to monitor progress. And we had massive, uh, at a massive cost, uh, these pilot studies failed. And there isn't a sense from the from the department, and at least we're raising this concern with the committee, there isn't a sense of how we're going to deal with the massive failures of the pilot projects. We have the view that also there are a number of feasibility studies which need to be taken on board, um, uh, a financial feasibility study, an institutional feasibility study, and a technical review, um, which we've listed here, but I'm going to move on pretty quickly. And um, we are also of the view, our other concern is that the implementation of the NHI will lead to a brain drain of critical skills. We know that uh, there are a number of uh, uh, um, uh, critical skills that we need in our healthcare system. And so a lot must be done to try and preserve that um, instead of simply having a very hard uh, core approach that says you either join in or you are out. Um, and this is what we talked to here in this slide we talk about the fact that South Africa has a shortage of 34,000 uh, nurses and essentially really there are massive um, medical pr practitioners who are leaving the country en masse and we need to be very mindful of that. And so we need to be able to make sure that in your uh, deliberations as a committee, that is something that is taken into account. And then just to say here, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go by pretty quickly here, Chairperson, just to say that the bill, of course, the white paper in the bill was introduced years ago, I think back in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. And then the bill in itself, the draft bill was then tabled in parliament in 2019. And since then, 
Um, there has been a global pandemic. There has been decreased economic growth, millions of job losses. And so our view really is that this bill should go back to the drafting phase because it does not in any way take into account some of the lessons we learned during COVID-19, some of the economic environment that we find ourselves in, particularly the fact that this bill is now, in the current context, truly unaffordable. And we, as we will hear this afternoon during the budget speech, we'll probably hear exactly the same thing from the Minister of Health. And this slide here is just to state again that uh, there's a projection that we are sitting with a 380 billion rand deficit. It's unclear then to us as to how we're going to be able to afford to do healthcare in this way. Of course, we must never say that healthcare must be, cannot, you know, quality healthcare cannot be delivered because of financial uh, uh, reasons. But the reality is that we've got to take those into account. And we have the view that there are ways to roll in and bring about universal healthcare within our current budgetary um, uh, uh, envelope. Um, whereas this bill really has unrealistic expectations to, uh, to an economy that really can't handle it. And, um, and of course, this really emphasizes the point about a shrinking tax base and, um, and, and, and how unemployment is becoming a big problem. And, um, and of course, again, this emphasizes the fact that there are lessons to be learned in the pandemic, and uh, those need to essentially be, be, be sold into the, the draft of the bill, particularly how we have experienced how centralization in effect was a problem. The centralization of the procurement of uh, vaccines was an issue where we essentially saw that that bottleneck really cost us in the end. And when we started to see how things really worked and worked well, um, colleagues is, oh, sorry, how we saw things working and working well is when we saw a collaboration between the public healthcare sector and the private healthcare sector. And the department will tell you that that partnership is really what brought us to the higher um, uh, levels of vaccination and the like. And here, just to emphasize again, lessons learned, we have 13 billion that is being investigated in irregular contracts. And what we can't have is a situation where this bill does not have accountability mechanisms that really go to the core of preventing this large scale corruption like we saw um, and with the implication of the previous minister and the like, what we saw before, we need to make sure that it does not happen again. And um, this is just to illustrate the rise in cost of medical malpractice and how some of the provisions in this bill could lead us to a point where, in effect, this, um, this kind of amount uh, rises. And so really, our view, again, as we conclude, that as a democratic alliance, we really think that we stand for universal health care access to all citizens. But we are we disagree that that this bill will get us there. We think that it misdiagnoses the problem and therefore it needs to go back to its drafters. We have here an alternative that the committee can consider, which has been uh, submitted through to you, where we think we can have a system where we've got universal health care, but not through the current funding model that is proposed by the NHI bill. And of course, we know we've got some lessons that we've learned in the Western Cape as well, 
We, we've got one of the best uh, run healthcare system in, in the country. And of course, we don't think that provinces should be played up against each other. We think that there should be a great learning opportunity across the board. Whichever province does something better, there should be learning opportunities with others. Then in conclusion, Chairperson, so that I do not run out of time because I want to emphasize these points. Number one, that we must uh, remember that, that as the DA, we support and advocate for universal health care, but we are of the view that this bill will not achieve that. We think that this bill is only a funding model and it speaks nothing of a holistic overhaul of a broken health system. We think that this bill will not achieve universal health care. In fact, the way that it is drafted, it is the very antithesis of what universal health care will be. We think that this bill misdiagnoses the problem with the South African health system. It misdiagnoses the issues of corruption, mismanagement, and poor use of public resources. The bill simply vilifies, vilifies the private sector and does not envision it as a partner to achieve better health outcomes for all South Africans. And we think that the, the sweet spot lies in the better collaboration. The bill, again, was drafted before the global uh, pandemic and does not include the lessons that we have learned and the value of partnership across the board. The bill, we disagree with it because it will impose an additional tax burden to already struggling South Africans when universal health care can be achieved within the current budget allocation. Again, the bill does not make provision for the investment in the current health care system. We've got to make sure that we invest in the current healthcare system if we're going to be able to roll out UHC in an effective way. The bill pulls funds from the provision of healthcare and throws money at the problem. And we believe that it won't fix the problem if you don't fix the system in itself. The bill imposes poor governance structures without any accountability mechanisms. The political appointment of the board is a massive problem. And as we've seen that it can be open to corruption as we've seen in the past two years. The bill does not include any oversight role by parliament to hold the minister and an independent board to account. The lessons from COVID-19 alone should ring alarm bells for the committee that when there's no role being played by parliament, we will essentially have massive uh, problem. And then second, lastly, the bill has many constitutional pitfalls which will erode provincial powers, fragment the healthcare system, deny access to healthcare for asylum seekers and foreigners, we believe that the bill respectfully should be sent back to drafting to take into account the many issues that have been raised uh, in the public uh, uh, hearing process. We believe that legislation drafting is the role of parliament and that all the work that has already been done by parliament with the, with the public hearings should be taken into account. You have in your arsenal colleagues all the inputs that have been given by the various uh, uh, um, uh, organizations that have come to present. And we think that the bill should go back to at least encompass all of those changes. And we are of the view that it needs to go back to drafting and thus we cannot support the bill in its uh, current form. Thank you very much, Chairperson. I'm gonna try and stop the, yes. Thank you very much. Uh, very much for your presentation. There are a number of members who want to raise questions with you. I'm going to name them in the order that they have taken. The Honorable Wilson, Ismail, Clark, Tukacha, Harvard, Gela, Munyai, Lengua, Siwela. Uh, I'm going to repeat. Wilson, Ismail, Clark, 
Tukacha, Harvard, Yela, Bunyai, Lengua, Tiwela. Uh, I noticed there was a hand raised of Honorable uh, Jake Imam, but he seems to have no with me today. Yes, Chairperson, I did that because I needed to join the other meeting, so I thought I could get a quick bite you may, uh, on this. But, but I, I quickly. No, I will give it to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. I've just got, I think, one question, and that I think is paramount. We do accept and understand that there are serious challenges. We have fiscal constraints. But at the same time, our people are dying, particularly people that are over 60 years of old are being turned away by the hospitals. The levels of inequality in the healthcare is a massive problem. If you don't have medical aid, which is the majority of the people in this country don't have, or don't have the luxury of that, because they don't have the luxury of having the next meal, these people are, have no healthcare and are actually dying. Now, can you tell us what is the alternative, given the fact that you accept and understand that we have challenges in terms of state-owned entities, the way they are run, in terms of the fiscal constraint and things? What happens from now? Should we not start somewhere to be able to start providing this better healthcare, equal healthcare facilities to all South Africans? Do you accept and agree that every life is valuable, every life is equal? And the, the problem we're having is for many years, many of those vulnerable people are left out of the system. Okay, and this goes for every province in, in the country. What would you suggest that we do in the interim to try and provide universal health care to everybody in this country, irrespective of the economic or financial situation they find themselves in? Thank you very much, Honorable Sheikh Imam. You're welcome to leave as you had indicated on the uh, chat. Thank you. Now Thank we you will very continue much. with the rest. Honorable Wilson. Thank you, Chair, um, and greetings to the committee this morning, and thank you to Saviwe and Advocate Horan for your, your presentation. I have a couple of questions. Um, indeed, I agree that with the amount of money and because it has a tax influence imposition on, on, on South Africans, that this should indeed be a money ball. It's not tagged as a money ball. And it is questionable then what the role becomes of the treasury. Because if it's not registered as a money ball, um, it becomes a little bit harder to manage without a treasury involvement. Perhaps one of you can give me some information on that. Secondly, there's an age-old question. What came first, the chicken or the egg? And I raise this particularly because NHI makes large sections of the current National Health Act mute. Um, this, it affects the current National Health Act, and it makes a lot of those um, sections in that act very moot. It, 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 they have to be, they, they can no longer be part of that act. So if the NHI were to pass, and we know we can't at the moment because of the, the unconstitutionality of large sections of it, um, but even if there were changes and considerable changes to this bill, 
One would then have to assess how that is going to affect the National Health Act because it makes large sections of that unconstitutional. So where does what does one do before this can even be implemented? Surely, and we know it's a long and unholy process to get amendments made to current bills to fit in with other bills. Uh, and, and, and hence my question, what comes first, the chicken or the egg? Um, you, it's one thing to say we will implement the NHI, but we can't do that until we've, we've uh, assessed the implications on the other bills that are related to it. I want to speak sort of completely off, off the angle here a little bit, and I'm, I'm going to raise a tax issue. Sugar tax was imposed in this country, okay? The principle behind that tax at the time was because of our higher, very high sugar usage in this country, our excessive um, cases of diabetes and, and sugar-related diseases, that a, a sugar tax was, should be imposed. Now, that sugar tax was supposed to be set aside for the promotion of health and dealing with issues like diabetes, etc. Now, we introduced a tax. Nobody can tell us how much tax was actually garnered from that sugar tax and where it's actually been spent. And in actual fact, the opinion is that it's actually gone into the national fiscus, which was not the intention of that sugar tax in the first place. Are we not running the same risks with, with the NHI fund, where we're going to have no idea if this is being appropriately um, spent, because there's nothing in this bill that tells us how this fund should be, in other words, the, the way it needs to be spent is not categorized, it is a concern for me. I'm glad you mentioned the separation of powers, I think that is a, a huge issue, and while we're talking about separation of powers, there is a section of this bill that principally entirely cuts out the Competition Commission. Now, the Competition Commission is there for a reason. This bill implies that we should have a, a, a single purchaser and that that purchaser will dictate as to where you may or may not buy um, some of your medical resources. We've talked about corruption. Are we not opening an even bigger door as far as that's concerned? Because to cut out the Competition Commission, um, which is there for a reason, it has a, it has a, a, a specific mandate. Um, this for me is very concerning and perhaps the advocate can give me some information as far as that is concerned. I'm glad that where you mentioned the medical legal claims um, and currently the um, medical legal claims are actually way in excess of 180 uh, in excess of 98 billion. In fact, they are very, very well over um, 120 billion, um, just about half of the current budget that is allocated to health. If half of those claims are won, we, we are looking at 60, 70, 80 billion rands worth of costs. Um, where is that going to, money going to come from? Because if that money has to come out of the NHI bill, which principally is going to fund health in this country, apart from the, the predicted deficit of 318 billion, that actually now just leads to 400 billion, um, and that could just be, you know, just beyond devastating. 
There is no plans in place and medical legal claims are not something that you can budget for. And yet this does not appear to be, have been taken into account. We have already spent in just the last few months well over 200 um, million rand on, on legal claims to fight some of these issues. And another concern that I have was, and you raised the pilot project, in the last um, presentation we had with the AG and, and the, the states of the department, some NHI grants that were supposed to be there to uplift the health system actually ended up going back to Treasury. That means the money that we had available to uplift our health system wasn't even used and it was returned. Now, how can we ever hope to have equality when monies that should have been put to very good use were actually returned to the Treasury? Um, and this raises a concern in the NHI as well. I thank you, Chair. Um, good morning, Chair. Uh, good morning, colleagues and everyone on the platform. Chair, before I start with my question, I would like to ask you a 30-second question, please, if I may. Chair, now I asked you in a previous meeting that, you know, uh, all the NHI submissions that were handed into Parliament are safe and still, you know, at the Parliament precinct, even after, you know, the fire that took place at the precinct. Uh, Chair, you have given me a response at that time, but I see that that response is not minuted adequately in our 15th of February minutes. So I'm asking the clarity seeking question again, Chair. Uh, I want you to note that this is extremely important is, you know, today is the last day of our NHI submissions and hearings, uh, and it is essential that we know everything is in order. Otherwise, we would have to start the whole process again from scratch. So, Chair, if you could just give me a clarity reply on that before I ask my questions, please. Thank you, Ms. Uh, Honorable Ismail. That question was raised by yourself, I think, last week. I had then requested a response from Parliament officials who had given us the assurance that those submissions are all safe, the electronic as well as the written uh, submissions. And so with you asking it again, could possibly have a reason for asking it again. I would go back once again and ask Mr. Bundy again, but he had given me the assurance that these are all intact and that we'll be able to proceed with it. But unless you have uh, anything that is contrary to what you uh, to what we've been told, I'm trying to okay. understand why you are raising it. No, Chair, thank you. I just wanted to be minuted uh, adequately in today's minutes, please. Thank you, Chair. That is sufficient for me. So I will go to my questions. And uh, thank you to the DA panel and please of presenters. You know, for a very interesting and thorough presentation, I have a few clarity-seeking questions. I've been covered by my colleague, uh, you know, Honorable Wilson, on the issue of the single purchase model. But uh, I will just ask a further clarity on that. Now, how do we protect the system from price collusion if there's a single purchaser and no room for competitive pricing, as we have clearly seen in the SIU report? Tenders were awarded to companies that overcharged for products or services. Now, most especially, you know, while the country was going through a pandemic, there was major COVID corruption with PPEs. Now, does the panel feel that we, we will see worse than we saw during the COVID pandemic? COVID pandemic, if the NHI is passed, considering that this bill is huge. 
My second question, what suggestions can you provide to protect the fund from political interference, considering the corruption and abuse of funds by the previous minister with the Digital Vibe Saga? My text question has already been asked and the litigation question has already been asked. So my next question, considering that the Office of Health Standards and Compliance presently can't manage to monitor even 20% of our healthcare facilities, you know, and we understand and know that there will be certain compliance requirements under the NHI for health facilities to actually function. And we know that most of these facilities will not meet the required standard. Does the DA feel that this will further stifle or impact health services to the communities rather than increase quality health services to the country? In addition to this, the health ombudsman can't manage to oversee and ensure compliance now. How are they effectively going to manage to ensure compliance under the NHI? My next question, does the DA feel that the refer referral pathways are labor intensive and could negatively impact timelines and adversely affect the health of patients and even lead to possible death of patients? Now, would you agree that in order to access quality universal healthcare for all, we need to ensure first, you know, that we acquire skilled healthcare workers, increase the amount of healthcare workers in the public healthcare sector, and upgrade our public healthcare facilities in order to actually provide efficient uh, healthcare services to the country. My last question, considering that we are now 27 years into democracy under the present government, and in this 27 years with the funds allocated, nothing constructive was done to fix the dysfunctional health sector. Does the DA contemplate that in a few years in the impl implementation of the NHI, we will have an efficient and professional healthcare system in our country or not? I thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Honorable members, I just want to remind you that we are going to be running way over time. And it is my discretion to make a decision with regards to that. So I will allow as many questions as possible but we need to be mindful that we also need to re receive responses from uh, Mr. Horn. So let us, uh, let us be mindful of that as we raise our questions. And um, also for the uh, presenters of the African National Congress uh, to note our apologies, I realize we're going to be running at least 15 to 30 minutes over time. Thank you. Please continue, Honorable Clark. Thank you very much, Chairperson, and thank you to um, Honorable Warube and Advocate Horn for a very informative presentation. Um, firstly, how will the supply of healthcare services be increased to match the demand? It is noted that the scheme faces a supply-demand problem with many public facilities not qualifying to practice in the scheme. And private healthcare practitioners, as well as nurses, may opt rather to immigrate. Assessments of the NHI trials have revealed some major issues at some state hospitals in the early testing stages for the scheme, while the issue of healthcare workers willing to leave and actively leaving the country ahead of the system is well reported. How do we mitigate the risk ensuring that we do not face a brain drain of critical skills within the health sector? Number two, 
Would the NHI be far more competent than the current universal healthcare system that is in place? Under the NHI, would the state be able to provide quality healthcare considering that most of our hospitals do not comply to the 80% standards set by the National Health Department? These standards are completely toothless at the moment. And when requesting inspections on certain facilities, one waits months before outcomes are received with no corrective measures to remedy these required standards and without any accountability or consequences. Will the establishment of the NHI be in the position to remedy the severe state of decline of our hospitals? The state is currently reliant on private medical aids and the contributions they bring. If private medical aids no longer play a significant role, how will this impact on the implementation of the NHI. Um, just in terms of criticism towards the DA, often faces that the party is anti-poor. Considering that the bill seeks to provide for equal quality access to healthcare for all South Africans, our stance is clearly against the bill. Can your position not be described as anti-poor? I mean, how would you? How would we respond? to such a criticism. And my last um, question is, procurement processes were clearly not followed during the pandemic. And as we have seen by the SIU, COVID corruption report with 13.3 billion under investigation. It is important to note that the Western Cape was the only province to set up a full tender list. It is also the province with significantly much less lower investigations against this. What has the province done differently? Will centralization of the procurement process solve the flaws in our current system to effectively provide healthcare services? I thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Chaperson. Um, just a few questions from, from my side. Um, the first one, Chair, is that uh, the presenter has created a perception that the Western Cape is the most well-run and most efficient province. Can the DA then explain, based on the reports that have been received, why there is such a high vaccine wastage compared with the other provinces? Secondly, if, as alluded by the DA, the private is so much more efficient than public. How does the wastage happen in the private sector? My second question, Chair, on uh, COVID corruption. Can the DA please remind us if there was any private company involved in this corruption? The third question, the DA has raised um, the issue of uh, medical malpractice in its presentation. Can the DA let us know if there was any medical malpractice in the private sector and if they know um, the figure? Then uh, my next question, um, uh, Honorable Chairperson, is... Uh, is uh let me just check my notes uh the day uh you have 
uh, uh, argued that uh, the economic context under which uh, we are operating has changed. Therefore, the National Health Insurance Bill visibility needs to be re-evaluated. Are you disagreeing with the National Treasury, which expects the the GDP to return to uh, pre-pandemic levels as soon as uh, late in this uh, current year, which is 2022? Are you also disagreeing with the Reserve Bank, which uh, expect uh, GDP to grow by... uh, 1.8% 1.8% in 2023 and 2.0% in 2024. Are you saying that our country will not benefit from a strong global economic growth, less restrictive lockdown regulations as we have them now and uh, raising uh, uh, the vaccination rates? And then did the DA undertaken its own economic analysis on the GDP growth to arrive at this recommendation of re-evaluating the visibility of the NHI bill? If so, please uh, share your uh, report um, with us. Then, Honorable Chairperson, my last question. Um, Honorable and your delegation. As you know very well, this committee is very concerned about access to healthcare for all the people of South Africa, especially the poor. Members of this committee are all concerned across all political affiliation. And I want to demonstrate this with the following comments. Um, the following uh, comments, and I would like uh, you to um, comment on each of them. The importance and urgent implementation of the NHI was emphasized by the points made by the following members of this committee during the public hearings process and in in, in other meetings of this committee. The first one, the Honorable Tembaguayo and the Honorable Shira have not only brought uh, uh, to parliament a private member's bill that seeks to have all clinics operate for 24 hours, but they also continuously emphasize um, uh, emphasize, uh, um, 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 emphasize uh, 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 to the committee uh, but the committee, unfortunately, could not pass this bill because of the lack of resources currently. As Honorable Tembequire and Honorable Shira are aware, all of us fully agree with them on this matter. And we may hasten to remind them that the NHI bill seeks to do exactly what they are asking. If only they could pass this bill, um, this dream will be realized. The second one. We heard the Honorable Tiliti, for instance, sharing a very sad and painful story of himself and his brother having been involved in an accident in December last year. But that sadly within only he was attended to and his brother and 
And, and this was so because he has medical aid and his brother does not. This is what we have been saying all along, and we really need to implement the national health insurance so that this discrimination never happens again. You yourself know very well that Section 27 of the Constitution of this country is very clear when it says no one may be refused emergency medical treatment. But unfortunately, this inhuman act is happening unabated. Then lastly, but most importantly for this presentation of yours, Honorable Wendy Wilson had lamented that she had gone to a health facility with a helper who she calls my Anna. But unfortunately, only Mrs. Wilson was attended to and not a helper. She said that her helper was refused medical care because she had no medical aid. As Honorable Wilson knows very well, the National Health Insurance will not allow this kind of discrimination as both she and her Anna will receive quality health care equally regardless of whether they have money or not. What are your re response to these three critical points made by members of this committee? Thank you very uh, much, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. I have few questions. Number one, can the DA explain how it is less burdensome to the health system for patients with minor ailments to seek care with specialists? Are they primary caregivers rather than be referred from a GP? Second one, please will the DA tell us of any country or any medical aid in South Africa that has no exclusions or no rationing of health services? Number three, the DA is worried it is unclear what services and the medications will be covered or excluded under NHI. You will agree with me that healthcare services and the delivery mechanism change over time according to the health status of the population and the advances in technology. Are you therefore suggesting that these services should be included in the bill? If so, please note that these services will have to be reviewed every two to three years to keep up with the changes in health status and health technology. If that's this case, does your recommendation mean that once the NHI bill becomes law, the NHI Act needs to be amended in every two, three years? If so, how practical is this recommendation? Which country has done such? within your own research. Should these services not be in the regulations, which are easier to change? Next, quest next question. You are worried SOEs are failing. NHI is not an SOE. It is a public entity. Is the DA aware? that most public entities have performed very well in terms of governance and financial management. Did the DA undertake analysis on how public entities 
are performing? If so, please share your report with us. If it's comparing lack with lack, the last question. Just, just. Sorry, but here, just the last questions. That is, uh, that is a little bit, a uh, bit more. Last question. Last questions. Is DA aware the Western Cape inherited two medical schools and four health sciences faculties from the previous Parkhead dispensation? Does the DA acknowledge that it has no significant international land borders and that it had not inherited homelands? It has by HAR greatest proportion of population on medical aid. How is this an equitable dispensation if compared to the challenges experienced by the rest of the country? Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Um, I've got a few questions that I want to ask uh, DA, uh, the presentation that uh, they did for us as a portfolio committee. Uh, first, uh, Chairperson, uh, my first question. On questioning the bill for not uh, tabulating uh, what will be contained in the comprehensive set of healthcare uh, services to be covered under NHI. Uh, can, sorry for that issue. Um, can, can, can the DA uh, care to tell the public which package of the major medical schemes will cover uh, year after next? That will be my first question, Chairperson. My second question, um, can the DA explain the difference between uh, SOE and the Schedule 3A public entity and how the PMFA applies uh, to each? Uh, my other question, uh, Chairperson, uh, to the DA. Um, the DA is of the view that uh, the bill seeks to um, uh, abolish the private sector providers. Did the presenter miss chapter uh, two, uh, section 8.2, uh, 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 chapter 8, section 32, and others where the role of the private sector establishment are covered. Um, the last question, uh, Chairperson, uh, given that the DA is against the provisions uh, of uh, 7.4 of the bill, which makes provision for service providers to uh, limit their scope within the uh, confines of cost uh, uh, effective uh, services as, as shall be 
uh, determined through health uh, technology assessments. Uh, my question is, why is DA finding it acceptable to provide exorbitant and uh, unnecessary uh, price um, healthcare services? Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, Honorable Kahube, we were, you were part of a NHI a, a public hearing. I think uh, the people of South Africa have said it clear that we must implement NHI uh, as, as, as the country because that is the only way that will make us to be equal. And we are as good Abantu baguti okwangoku ITA ayibakhathalelanga besikhone ezwelitsha abantu baguti bebakhala anibaphathi ngendlela erighti kweza kliniki enicingubanina niphatha abantu kakuhle bakhalila abantu base Western Cape ukuthi impatho enipaba enibapha yona ayikhonhle tu ubukhona ulingcina kulo nto ibithethwa ngabantu why ngoku xa kufane ukuthi ma ku implement NHI ningafuni ngoba niyazi ukuthi Nina ni benefita kakhulu abantu abane medical aid bakhala bayaphelelwa xa baya kwizibhedlela zenu pha e Western Cape abafumana inqedo olu right so dicingubamna na i NHI yeyona ndlela efanelekileyo ekokuba i South Africa ithathe sikwazi ukuthi silingane singabantu sibe nokufumana insebenziso ezilinga nayo kwezempilo so that at least you won't come to Abe equal in South Africa. I le ening I funi onina. I ni funi because nina neyaz guti ni kamla ngono kuna banya bantu. Yeka nukteneze la bantu ba kwetu. Yeka nukteneze la bantu ba mnyam. Enko sislalu. Thank you, Honorable Chair. I just landed at the airport because I'm traveling here for budget speech. If you hear the noise of the plane, it's not out of my making. First and foremost, the DA, Honorable Chairperson, said that they support implementation of the policies aimed, aimed at improving healthcare access to South African residents. Yet, the rest of the submission, it's uh, contradictory to the initial statement. How so? My question to the presenter, therefore, it uh, is how does the DA believe? How does the DA believe? How does the DA believe uh, this improved access to healthcare will be realized? Uh, if they can answer that question, I ask this because I don't hear any possible any proposal being made in the DA presentation if that could be clarified. The DA is against the proposed referral pathways, and they believe they will exclude certain individuals from accessing uh, uh, covered by the fund. I'm not sure how will this be possible, and also considering that the DA are convened about or convinced about the loss of services offered under the national health insurance. They, why, should, why should they, for example, expect everyone to access healthcare at the highest level of care 
even if the ailments are minor and can be resolved at the entry level facilities. I want also to ask this question, Honorable. The DA want the national health, they want universal health coverage without a national health insurance. And I'm, re I'm repeating again, what are the key alternative proposals that the DA want to advance? Because you can't just want universal health coverage in the shell with no content to demonstrative a progressive alternative. Lastly, not even last, does the DA believe in laissez-faire philosophy? I'm saying in addition, and I'm saying and, and the, the, the monopoly, the dominant monopoly of the private sector medical aid, which are receiving in the current two-tier statement, in the current two-tier arrangement, which they are receiving almost over 400 billion, which is what? 8% of GDP, right? And service only 16% of the population. And the 84% population is not served. Is this the inequality the DA want to serve? The convention, the international convention is not segregation in the context of section 27, which I think you don't, I think the presenter don't have to mention a section of the constitution they don't understand. It will be important that they expand their own understanding or interpretation of those sections because you know, any country need to adhere to international convention, Ad, you know, advanced by the United Nations Health, United Nations and World Health Organization. So I think if you read very well, the section of the NHI bill that have to be convention, then they will understand the importance of that service, uh, emergency service that need to be provided for the, uh, for the foreigners not to be denied those services. Uh, lastly, Honorable Chair, because you raise issues of time, I want to understand, because I, you know, how does the board, provincial board in Western Cape under Linde, are uh, employed? Because here in Cape, here in, here in Gauteng, in Tuanes, city of Tuan, the mayor is involved in the appointment of the board entities of the what? Of the city. Here in Johannesburg, the new mayor, you know, also involved in the appointment of the board, the entity of the Watford, right? So now, here in Ekurlen, again, the new mayor is involved in appointment of the board, but they don't want, they don't want any start to be involved in such a process. Do they want change to their needs. Thank you. Thank you, Maslengwa.
Bener, bagusnya yang gue. I can see on the platform, maybe check if you're not muted. I cannot hear you, Honorable Zengwa. I think uh, for now we will move on to Honorable Siwela. I'll come back to you, uh, Honorable Zengwa. Uh, <clears throat> thank you, Honorable Chairperson, and uh, greetings to the colleagues on the in the platform. Chairperson, I have got uh, one or two questions that I would like to ask the DA presenter. But before the chair, um, the DA claims or says in their presentation that the whole NHI bill is myopic. What then I would like to know is in what way is this bill meiotic? Is, is that not an extreme form of expression? Secondly, Chair, can the DA explain how the powers of the provinces to deliver healthcare services were allocated and funded prior to 1994? Was there not a central national health function budget? Did this not work favorably for the minority privileged white population? Is the DA opposed to this benefit accruing to the entire population? Thirdly, can the DA please remind us how many health departments there are now, 10 plus local government plus 75 medical scheme, but they have just argued that creating one central health budget or fund is not acceptable as it creates fragmentation. Something is missing in this argument. Furthermore, Chair, uh, the, you have argued that, or the DEA have argued that the economic context under which we are operating has changed. Therefore, the NHI bill feasibility needs to be reevaluated. Are you disagreeing with the National Treasury, which expects the GDP to return? to the pre-pandemic levels as soon as late in this current year, 2022? Are you also disagreeing with the Reserve Bank, which expect the GDP to grow by 1.8% in 2023 and 2.0% 2 in 2024? Are you saying that our country will not benefit from a strong global economic growth less restrictive lockdown regulations as we have them now, and rising vaccination rates. Did the DA undertake its own econometric analysis 
on the GDP growth to arrive at this recommendation of re-evaluating the visibility of the NHI bill. If so, please share your report with us. Then, Chair, as I continue, pardon me for a second. Now, how does the NHI fund described in the bill severely limit options for private practitioners? The bill defines healthcare service provider as a natural or juristic person in the public in the public or private sector providing healthcare services in terms of any law it treats public and private providers equally lastly chair slide 34 in slide 34 please list the countries that are that conducted feasibility studies prior to reforming their health system to UHC financing models. Because at least as far as government is concerned, feasibility study has been done through our socioeconomic impact assessment system for this policy. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Selengwa. Chair, I see that Honourable Sengwa has posted her questions on the group. All right, let me have a look quickly. <clears throat> right, I'm going to read the questions of Honourable Sengwa. She's asking... In your presentation, you have highlighted many constitutional concerns with the proposed bill. Do you think the bill also unjustifiably limits a person's constitutional right to freedom of association as it effectively forces a person to become a user of the fund to access certain healthcare services as private healthcare will only be limited to provide complementary healthcare services? which we still don't know what it means. And then what accountability measures would you introduce to strengthen the corruption investigation, investigating unit? Have you conducted any feasibility studies on your proposed alternatives to healthcare reform that could be considered? Considering the urgent need for healthcare reform, we do need to find workable solutions to address the inequality in healthcare provision. I just need to make certain if she had reposted this twice, and it looks like it's a, it's a repost here. So those are the questions from uh, Honorable, Honorable Flengwa. Now I would have to... Uh, ask some questions of my own. And honorable members, we would have realized that we had taken up 40, uh, 50, almost 15 minutes uh, with raising questions. So we'll have to uh, consider what we're going to be doing. But my questions are, 
the, the first one is where does the constitution guarantee choice? Besides the NHI will not be moved or choice. Uh, it will only limit entries that they are system specialist level and require care to start the primary care. Sorry, Chair, we're struggling to hear you a little bit. I think it's your your speaker. If you can just repeat that first question, please. Yeah, my first point is towards uh, your question on uh, people be having to access uh, services at the primary healthcare level and, and not go directly to the specialist. And you seem to be promoting that people should be going to the specialist directly. Which, as long as I've been in medical practice, except for the past 10 years, there's been a, a movement towards people thinking they should go directly to the medical specialist. And, and we dare to say that our doctors are very well trained doctors in South Africa. And we should really get this right that people should know they should start with the uh, medical practice, with the general uh, practitioners in primary care care setting, in order for people to access medical care and health care. I'm so sorry to interrupt the question. We can barely hear you. Um, you're, you're, there's a lot of feedback on your mic. I'm trying to figure out what that is. Um, you're fine now. You can hear me now. Yeah. Thank you. So, yes, the second one is uh, the bill says that the fund will investigate complaints. Nowhere does it give policing powers to the fund if the DA not aware of the healthcare sector anti-corruption forum that was established in 2018 and which has resulted in the SIU investigations that the DA has alluded to representation. And then uh, on section four, subsection four, where the DA uh, requires, uh, the subsection requires proof of address for registration of the fund. I want to ask you whether you're aware there are more than 15 million people who have already registered as users on the health patient registration system. And uh, the DA seems to believe that ordinary South Africans have been squeezed dry by government taxes and cannot be subjected to yet another tax. Does the DA prefer that thousands of South Africans pay huge voluntary medical scheme contributions and then still have to pay in for the portion of the care that is not covered by the schemes? Or that the majority of South Africans are denied access to the resources of the country because they cannot afford private health care despite them offering tax through back, excise duties, new contributions, and subsidies to medical team members? What proportion of our GDP uh, spend on health at the DIC is affordable? Is the spending of the 8.5% of GDP that is currently spent on health in South Africa not palatable to a free market ideology? Is the DA opposed to the redistribution of the 8.5% GDP spending to the entire population instead of the political situation? 50% of the total healthcare spending and 60% of the population. And currently, medical aids refuse their client sequence that are not available in the treatment protocols of formularies, which we're all very much aware of. This is, of course, a limitation, and I get many such telephone calls and requests when people ask me to please intervene and to speak to the medical aids. 
So this, of course, is a limitation. So how will the application of such limitation differ from the current status quo, the one that you advise? And the DA believes that the fund should not protect itself from risk. They should pay for everything. Why does the DA hold such a view? Moreover, as the DA by Section 653 and others, where users are given an option to access private sector medical schemes for services not covered by the fund. Those are many, many questions which have been raised with you, and I have raised uh, the, the challenge with the time limits which we had, which seem to have been thrown out of the window today, uh, maybe out of the door too. Uh, I'm going to allow you to answer as many of those questions as possible. Um, we'll have to see and, and just bring it as we go forward now this morning. Thank you very much. Please continue with your responses. Thank you, Dr. Jacobs. Um, I think perhaps what we can try and do is to hopefully, if that's acceptable with you, to try and uh, get to 11 o'clock. Um, we will try and run through as many of the questions as possible. I will run through some, some of them overlap, uh, uh, Chair, and they may be covered by what I'm about to say now. Um, and then some of the constitutional concerns uh, uh, Advocate Horn can handle. Is that all right with you, if we can try and take it to 11? Agreed with me. Thank you. Agreed by me. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Chair. And thank you very much to the members. Uh, it's really, really refreshing to see uh, lawmakers really engage with, with, the, with this process. And uh, as uh, Vanna had initially said right at the beginning, it is obviously it feels strange to be on the other side of the committee. But um, but it's good to see that we are really interrogating. And, and, and the question that was raised, particularly about the alternative, I want to, I'm going to raise shortly. Uh, I think it's, it's quite important. Uh, it was raised by a number of members about the fact that um, currently, you know, only 16% of South Africans are covered by medical aid and 84 are not. Essentially, these members arguing about the inequality. I think it would be naive and it would essentially be reductionist to not really see how deeply unequal our health system is. It absolutely is equal. And that's why we are saying that we support uh, universal health care, but we're saying the mechanisms through which we get there need to not only be financially viable, but they also need to guarantee that people will actually get the quality care that they need. And so when we talk about equality, it is our desire, and that's why we are here, members. It is our desire to show you where the pitfalls of this legislation are and where should there be legislation that is passed by this committee and by extension parliament, it should look different so that it can address some of the challenges that not have not only have been raised by the DA, that have been raised by many of the entities who have come to present by you. And so really, I want to then, um, I'm going to flight quickly a slide um that I had skipped uh, due to uh, time constraints. And here yeah, I'm not going to dwell too much chair. Um, I'm, I'm wondering is the am I sharing it? No, sorry. Um, right. And so um, I wanted to, to just uh, um, Uh, okay, 
Um, I just want to bring your attention to this particular slide in our, in our presentation, because I think it's quite, quite important to realize that not only has the DA seen what are some of the pitfalls of this piece of legislation, but has applied its mind um, really as to what are some of the alternatives that we can um, we, we can look at. Number one, we do think that there can be a creation of a universal subsidy to every South African citizen, irrespective of whether they are covered by the public or private healthcare systems. Because, of course, the current two-tier system, as Honorable Monyai uh, has eloquently put, is something that is of concern. There cannot be one set of one a particular a standard of care for those who have medical aid and those who do not. And so what we are saying as an alternative is that money should be used to develop a universal subsidy that will be afforded to all South Africans. That then allows them, and this can be developed um, in, in the combination of the existing uh, 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 budget allocations. And, and also what we can see from here is that it's, it would be essentially affordable. But the more important thing here, uh, Chair, is that what it does is that all 60 million South Africans would be able to have a subsidy that they would be able to go to whatever healthcare provider that they want, whichever healthcare provider that they want, whether you have medical aid or not, and you will be able to have access to a basket of services. And then you are able then to say, let us top up. And that's why we haven't raised the issue around the, the topping up of, uh, of, of medical aid schemes as a problem, because we believe that having this subsidy that is afforded to every single South African, regardless of who you are and where you are, will be able to equalize the system. And then services will be uh, at, at free at the point of service. And this is important because I think it goes to the nub of some of the concerns that the members have raised, that do you have an alternative? Yes, of course, there is an alternative, an alternative that is not going to bankrupt the country, an alternative that's not going to open this fund to rank corruption like we've seen, but that will be able to equalize at the very least the, the package of care that everybody can have. But then it doesn't require the centralization of the fund that will essentially be managed by by political appointments. And so that is one of the, the key things uh, in our proposal, which is both in the document that we have submitted to the, to the committee and in the presentation. The second part and the second tenant of our proposal really, uh, Chair, is about the decentralization of services. Our view is that a centralized, convoluted structure of a healthcare service is not efficient. It, in fact, is inefficient. And so if you devolve powers, to provinces and in even with those provinces, you can devolve powers to regional um, uh, structures. What you then have, you make sure that your package of care or at least your services are closer to the people, that when they need to hold people accountable, they are able to hold people accountable to the people who actually run the service. And so we don't think that a centralized fund is necessarily going to trickle down to somebody who lives in Alfred and Zoo where their clinic doesn't work, because we think that will bring about inefficiencies. So I'm going to quickly run through some of the, the, the questions that have been raised, but I thought it was just important to say 
we're not just simply saying uh, because it's a buzzword that we support universal health care, but there are proposals, there are models which work, which don't require the kind of changes that the, the national health insurance uh, wants to impose that, in fact, will get us to a point where all South Africans have access to not just health care, but quality health care so that they can be able to have the kind of dignity that has only been afforded to those who have money. And those who don't have money have not been able to access that care. And the reason being is because our public health care system has been run poorly. And money is not going to fix that problem. But an overhaul of the system is going to fix that problem. And that's why this bill is not really addressing the nub of the issue. And that's why we say that it's myopic, uh, Honorable Siwela. It's myopic because only... All that it does is introduce a funding model, says nothing about how do you introduce universal health care? How do you make sure that the system is overhauled, improved, so that you can make sure that people are not traveling more than five kilometers away from a primary health care, um, a primary health care facility? All of these things are currently not happening in many parts of the country. So the, the, it's myopic in that it is narrow in its focus and doesn't extend to saying how do we bring about universal health care, both from a funding point of view, but also from a healthcare system point of view. Uh, Honorable Sheikh talked about people, uh, inequality is a massive problem. Do you have an alternative? And that's, I think that's why, that's what I've, I've, I've spoken to now. Honorable Bill Wilson raised a number of issues around uh, uh, the Competition Commission collusion um, and the, the NHI grant that was has been returned. Look, I mean, there's been many issues here, Honorable Wilson, about, as you and all of you would know, that uh, there has been a reduction in the funding of the, of the NHI grant over the years. Uh, and simply because I think there has been no movement uh, in terms of being able to fund um, uh, 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 this, this kind of... Uh, uh, proposals that are in the NHI. And so really there are obviously massive concerns to us that uh, Treasury is not in agreement with this committee. And this question has come up quite a number of times. I think it came up with the Honorable Sokacha and again with Honorable Suela about whether or not do we agree with, do we not agree with Treasury and the Reserve Bank? In fact, uh, members, I would argue that we agree with Treasury that we've got a 380 billion rand deficit. We're spending more servicing debt to in this day and age than we are on education and health. And so that is a reality. We can't legislate for a future hope or for a future dream of a GDP that is now growing. You as committee members have to legislate in accordance to the current economic climate that in fact existed even before COVID. It's incumbent on you to pass legislation that will in fact be implementable. Because of course then the, the, the whole process is null and void. The tax concern, Honorable Wilson, massive concern of ours, because of course, you know, the issue here is that South Africans are, unemployment is on the rise. Uh, the, 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 the tax base that we are looking at, in fact, is shrinking by the day. We don't think that it is fair. We don't think that it is right to have to impose an additional tax to South Africans when they are already struggling so much. Uh, Honorable uh, Ishmael raised an important issue around COVID corruption and the lessons learned there. And how would we propose to take out politi political in interference? We think that a board should not be appointed by a minister. And it will, it will, it will now uh, help Honorable Monyaya understand our proposal. Uh, we don't think that a, a, a fund of this nature and of this magnitude should be 
appoint should a board that will manage this fund should be appointed by a minister. Colleagues, I'll be hasten to to hasten to remind you of the fact that we had ministers in this very portfolio. We had MECs, we had mayors across the country, people who were trusted with this public service, who were looting funds during COVID. What you want to do when you legislate members of the committee, you want to make sure that you build in accountability mechanisms, allow parliament to appoint a board so that they can be able to come up with a critical criteria, which will make sure that you are able to make sure that the people who are there qualified to do the job, the people that are there are not partisan, the people that are there are not, uh, don't owe their allegiance to a political uh, minister, that they owe their allegiance to the people of South Africa and to parliament. And that would be the proposal, Honorable Ishmael, really, that we would would bring in. Uh, And Honorable Clark raises an important point, and I think it, it, it links in to the point that Honorable Sheikh had made about how do we get to equality? If you know, there's the notion that if you don't support the NHI bill, that somehow you are anti-poor or you don't support the idea that South Africans who can't afford medical aid should have quality health care. In fact, I would argue um, to the committee that this is the contrary. And I would really hope and I would really plead with you that you don't look at uh, where the proposals are coming from when you are in the, in the, in the legislating making process here, that you look at the process in a very dispassionate way. The reality here is that there are ways to equalize quality access to access to quality health care in the country. But this way in which the NHI proposes won't get us there. Instead, it will get us a bloated system that's open to corruption and won't guarantee people, even the poor, the quality health care that we need. This bill misdiagnoses what has gone wrong in health care over the years. What has gone wrong is not the fact that the rich are getting quality health care because they can afford it. What has gone wrong is that the 84% of South Africans in the country have been let down by a system that has not catered for them. So when you you are fixing that, you don't simply say, let the entire 16% become the 84%. What you do, you say, we want 84% of South Africans to also enjoy quality health care like those who have been uh, on medical aid and who have been enjoying quality health care. You want to bring the country up, but you don't want to bring the country down in a race to the bottom. And that's what we are pleading here um, with you. And so Honorable Sokacha has asked a number of questions asking about whether there were any malpractice, um, there's any medical legal claims in the private sector. And, and I, I do want to, 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 again, come in on this point, uh, Honorable Sokacha. Our presentation is not here to come and do a presentation on behalf of the private sector. You have powers as a committee to, 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 to summon the private sector and ask them about these very medical legal claims. However, what we are saying is that there's a rise in cost of uh, medical legal claims within the department that are threatening to bankrupt the sector. And what we are saying is that there are certain things within this, uh, this bill which will mean that this these kind of medical legal claims are going to rise. And it will mean that it will further send the department into into the red. We're not here to talk about whether or not the the, the private sector is any better. What we are saying though, is that the sweet spot exists in the collaboration between the public sector and the private sector. The sweet spot arises when the the public sector can rival 
the private sector in the quality that it provides. It shouldn't matter if uh, 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 um, Honorable Wilson's Anna goes to MediClinic or goes to Kailicha Hospital. It should all be the same. And that's what we're saying, that go back to the drawing board to make sure that you can you can make sure that this happens. And as I said, he asked the question about do we not believe Treasury? I think that, in fact, this committee may not be believing Treasury. Treasury has repeatedly for the past two years said that we have not actively budgeted for the implementation of NHI. So we plead with you to please, when you legislate, you look at the current economic climate that we are in. And uh, and uh, Honorable Sokata again raised the issue around um, the EFF's proposals uh, on a 24-hour clinic, and uh, and and that we don't want uh, any discrimination. Again, I want to disabuse the members in the committee about the notion that we want to keep a system where only those who have medical aid can have quality health care. What we are saying is that those who don't have medical aid should be able to access the very same. Um, uh, uh, care that you can get at a public hospital, and that's within the um, the, the, the the powers of of government. Uh, Honorable Harvard asked the question about um, you, you know will will the will the the package of care not be included in the regulations? Of course, I mean the regulations can be a lot more detailed than the than the bill itself. But it was important and incumbent on us to point out that currently, as the bill reads, it's very open to interpretation. It is vague in which package of care will be provided. It would have been suitable, rather, to be able to say, look, if we want to really bring a legislation that is this wide ranging, this is what we would be looking at. This at least are the types of packages of care that people will be able to have. Honorable Gela um, raised the point of uh, the the fact that schedule uh, the schedule A is a public entity um, and is not uh, an, an SOE. And of course, we've said that uh, this is a public entity. But I do want to read uh, for you a particular section, Honorable Gela, that says. The remaining public entities are classified as Schedule A and Schedule a Schedule 3A and Schedule 3C entities. These entities are normally extensions of a public entity with the mandate to fulfill a specific economic or social responsibility of government. They rely on government funding and public money, either by means of transfer from the revenue fund or through statutory money. As such, these entities have the least amount of autonomy. What we are simply saying is that the tenants of what has failed in SOEs and the tenants of what will fail in this public entity are similar. They are open to corruption and it is open to public looting. And so, yes, there are differences between the way in which SOEs and uh, and, and Section th Schedule 3A entities are put together. But ultimately, the weaknesses of both of those entities exist in this fund. And that's the point that um, that you we, we make. And you raise an important uh, an important point, uh, Honorable Gela. public hearings services and therefore NHI. Which is in effect what we are agreeing with. We're saying invest in the system, then roll out UHC so that you can make sure that 
people don't just have access. Amanda about Amavela by a clinic of two clinical comayes of two clinical cause nace. Because Amanda Manis, Honorable Kelazanga, Baparamebati, Bafuni NHI as the bill. Amanda Manis, Babe Parama, the city Bafuna in Onzo, Ezi Putu Gileo, Dia Vumelana now, in Doban. A lot of people have been let down by the system, and that really. In Umseben's way to song a singer among the parliament who can take his in Doban Aboband, Baz for Manes on Gonzo. And we're not going to do that if we are obsessed about centralizing power in one uh, fund that does not guarantee in Dobaband Bazas for Manes on Gonzo, Baz for Nai. And so, really, this is not about our obsession about uh, NHI versus universal health care. I'm almost done, Chair, I promise. Um, Honorable Munyai, uh, how do you think quality will be achieved? I mean, I think we've covered it in in, in the alternative because he did ask about uh, the alternative um, uh, proposals that we have. Um, and Honorable Monyai, we don't think that the exclusion of foreigners or asylum seekers is consistent with Section 27 of the Constitution. We may have a discussion separate to this one about what that section says in the Constitution. We don't think that um, that exclusion is 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 in line with global um, with with global uh, um, uh, you know the, the the way in which the globe is headed. And um, I've spoken extensively about the danger of having a politician appoint this board, um, particularly because of the size of the fund. I've, just, I've uh, covered Honorable Suela's question about myopicness of the bill. Um, uh, Honorable Shengwa, the uh, Honorable uh, Advocate uh, Horn will answer the questions that you were asking with regards to the uh, to the to the Constitution. But again, we've spoken extensively about how the committee can make sure that there's greater accountability sold in. And um, and Honorable uh, um, uh, Dr. Jacobs, I agree with you. I agree with you extensively when you say. We want people to be able to access private primary health care and then move up the rank as as according to their need of care. I agree with you. However, the problem that I raised here is that in the current state of our health system, where you you will have somebody who does not have a primary health care facility close to them or one that is of quality, that provision in that, the provision in that bill will limit and will be a barrier because what happens if, I only have a regional hospital that is within five kilometers, within in a five kilometer radius as me. And so what we're saying is that we've got to fix what's broken with the system so that when we do impose provisions like that, then people know that if I only have to go to a clinic and then the clinic has to refer me, I know I'll go to a clinic, a clinic that has all the things that I need. And um, and of course, the issue around the limitations, uh, Dr. Jacob, the limitations of the package of care, I think the issue here is about the clarity. What will be limited and what would not be? As, as you have said, I mean, the issue here is that even with medical aids, there's been massive issues as the healthcare inquiry showed us that there's massive issues with medical schemes, with overpricing. All of these things are a problem, but it does not mean that when these problems are there, that we should simply make the entire healthcare system um, have the qualities of these things. The health market inquiry was very clear about what government ought to do in terms of bringing down the collusion of prices within the private medical space. But also at the same time, we think we need clarity on what the package of care will include um, from this bill. Advocate Horn, um, if you could perhaps just 
touch on one or two points that were raised around the, the laws, particularly the duplication on SAPs and the one issue on the constitutionality and the concerns they have. Thank you. Yeah, I'm in your hands, but I will try and be very quick um, and, and, and maybe just say to colleagues who have asked questions around my part of the presentation, which maybe will not be answered, I, I will feel your pain. I'm also a member of a portfolio committee who sometimes are not answered, and it's no disrespect meant. Uh, Chair, let me maybe firstly deal with your first question as to where does the Constitution guarantee choice? And I would, would advise that, that all members of the committee carefully study Section 7, the very first provision in our Bill of Rights, which enshrines uh, our right to freedom. And then if one looks at into the legal definition of freedom, it's it is sometimes defined exactly in the negative, the absence of constraint in choice, uh, the liberation from the restraint or the power of of anybody, of another. So that would mean that in the very first uh, section of our Bill of Rights, choice by, by, uh, by inclusion of the right to freedom is included as one of our rights. Um, you also, Chair, refer to users given the option to access private health care in, um, in some provisions of the bill. Um, and, and therefore, I would, would think you argue that there, are, there is some choice still, still included. Our view is just, Chair, uh, and, and you and some others have referred to specific provisions which talks about private health care. The reality is, however, if you read those in context with Section 55A, M, R, T, and W, it's quite clear that, that both the options to, to, to patients going forward, as well as medical practitioners in respect of private practice and accessing private healthcare will be dependent on the benevolence of one person, and that's the minister. And in our view, that's, that's highly problematic. Um, you also asked about uh, how we can how uh, our criticisms of the investigation unit in in light of the fact that it is to investigate complaints. Uh, the question is to be asked: What if these complaints, in essence, really uh, satisfy the definition of a crime? That's the one aspect. Um, we cannot have a situation where where uh, given the the, the, the very tight centralization of decision-making in terms of this bill, where, where uh, for whatever reason, uh, crimes are then not reported to the SAPs. That's the one aspect. But the, the other aspect as well, uh, talking about financial implications, a, a unit like this will, of course, bring with it massive financial implications for taxpayers. And we return to our argument to say, but the in between the Public Service Commission, the Public Protector, and the SIU, um, there, are, there are already established institutions which are empowered uh, to deal with corruption and these types of complaints. May I um, maybe also say the Honourable Tsilitsi says that we do not understand Section 27 properly in light of our criticism that that asylum seekers will will not uh, get the benefits promised to them uh, by the Bill of Rights. Um, I want to I want to say I think we must agree to disagree, but also to say that that it that it's, it's it it would not be proper for this committee to pass a bill and then 
say, yes, maybe the bill we're, we're passing is, is, is problematic, but then we still have international convention which will dictate to us as a country what to do in certain circumstances. Um, and then lastly, Chair, in respect of the, 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 the tagging issue raised by the Honourable Wilson, I don't know whether that's fixable, uh, but what I want, want to suggest, and, and, and others has referred at length to National Treasury, and it, there seems to be a, a bit of a difference in opinion um, uh, in respect of the, the satisfaction uh, on the part of National Treasury that this uh, bill can be funded in terms of our current economic climate. I, I would want to suggest that, that this committee consider engaging National Treasury in inviting them to hear their views both on the tagging issue as well as the affordability issue. It is so that National Treasury by and large over the years have been more positive in its outlook than what realised uh, in terms of actual growth rates. And, and in that sense, I want to, to, to end off by saying, um, even if we are to return to pre-pandemic levels, what the one stark difference that is is there and that which this committee must take into account in terms of the feasibility of this bill ultimately is our debt levels which is which has not returned to pre-pandemic levels so if if the situation pre-pandemic in the view of this committee was sufficient in nature to justify implementation then it remains that even if if our gdp and our growth rate improve somewhat our debt levels are still Scarily I. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much to both of you for those answers. You are also very welcome to uh, send some written replies should you deem it uh, necessary. We appreciate you coming to do your presentation and also answering these uh, questions uh, to to the satisfaction, hopefully, of the members. But we'll be able to hear about that. You could please do a final concluding remark and we will move on to the next uh, presentation. Just uh, 30 seconds, Chair, just to say thank you very much to the committee. Uh, like I said, uh, for engaging with us, we think that this is what lawmaking is about. It is about the, it's about the competition of ideas. It's about ultimately picking what is going to be the correct course of action for the people of South Africa. And so I think regardless of where political lines are drawn, I think that we are at least united here um, and in the House about the fact that things need to change. The health system needs to change. Now it just becomes about the nuts and bolts of how we get there. And I have all the faith that the committee will eventually be able to get to that point. And so thank you very much for having us and for allowing us to do this presentation. Thank you very much. And of course, I agree with you, things need to change. And it needs to change for everybody in South Africa. We need to make sure that all people have access to good quality health care in South Africa. And I think this is what the bill is trying to speak to. And as you say, we're going to be going through the nuts and bolts and see which fit and which do not fit, etc. So thank you very much again. Uh, honourable members, let me welcome the Deputy Minister to our platform. He had been on for a while, uh, Dr. Sibongi Seni Dlomo. Secondly, let us also note that we had allocated, in my discretion, a lot of time to this presentation, which had just been com completed. 
And I would have to be fair in uh, the next presentation to do allow this, uh, the time that is required. Should we go over the needed time? I would also allow that. And that uh, with that said, let me then welcome um, uh, Dr. Konfi Moloko, who will be doing the presentation on behalf of the African National Congress. If he can please uh, switch his camera on, introduce himself, and also introduce the rest of his team, and, and go on with the presentation straight after that. Thank you very much. Um, good morning, um, honorable members. The chairperson of the committee, my name is Phoebe Potrite, and I'm here with uh, Dr. Moloko, as well as Dr. Gwen Ramachopa, who will do the presentation on behalf of the African National Congress. Thank you very much for this opportunity, honorable members. Um, in 2016, the African Union, when it adopted its Africa Health Strategic Plan 2016-2030, made the point, and I quote, that in order to create better, policy, better performing health systems and decrease the African burden of disease, we require the following issues. Firstly, a multi-sectoral collaboration. Secondly, adequate resources. And thirdly, leadership to champion implementation, as well as ensure effective uh, accountability. The, the public hearings about the National Health Insurance Bill is about ensuring all of the above, to ensure that there's multi-sectoral collaboration, that there's adequate resources, but also that there's leadership to champion and ensure implementation and ensure accountability. The bill is about ensuring that South Africans, all South Africans have equitable and universal access to healthcare. And our submission will speak to those areas. So if we may be allowed to, to share uh, uh, the screen chairperson. Yes, you're very welcome. Okay. Our presentation will be, um, firstly, we will start off with Dr. Gwen Ramachopa that will do the introduction. Um, and then we will hand over to uh, Dr. Maloko that will then do the rest of our presentation. Um, and then we will take be ready for, for questions uh, from the honorable members. But once again, thank you very much for this opportunity, Dr. Ramachopa. Thank you very much. Uh, 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 Ms. and um, thank you uh, to the chairperson of the House Portfolio Committee, um, honorable members of the Portfolio Committee. I also would like to appreciate um, the presence of uh, those that are uh, online, uh, like ourselves, and acknowledge also the presence of the Deputy Minister of Health. Um, we take this opportunity to make this presentation as uh, augmenting our previous submission. And we want to thank you for allowing us to do this oral presentation. Um, the, our presentation would really, you know, briefly uh, take us back in terms of the journey that uh, South Africans have been uh, in towards um, and making efforts towards ensuring that uh, we join the global civilization 
uh, that supports health as a human right uh, for every citizen uh, in their country and also in the world. We affirm also the commitment of our president, um, uh, especially in terms of uh, the manifesto um, as a mandate of the people of South Africa. Uh, and we reaffirm that the ANC reiterates its commitment uh, to putting in place a quality health system uh, of uh, national health care, and uh, that uh, we will expedite the implementation of the national health insurance through finalizing enabling legislation and putting in place the national health insurance fund. Uh, we will come to this aspect of the uh, transformation of the health system. Uh, we must acknowledge that the fund is one of the pillars that are being transformed uh, to give us a universal health coverage. All South Africans, as we have we committed, must be able to access quality healthcare based on need and not on their ability to pay or their overall socioeconomic uh, situation. And further, in line with our constitution, that government for its part will honor citizens' commitment by ensuring that resources are well managed and efficiently uh, deployed. Uh, and uh, this NHI bill before you, it is, uh, we want to co co uh, commend government for having processed it up to the level of the bill and we thank the portfolio committee for the work it has done uh, to date uh, to enable South Africans uh, to engage it. The objectives of our submission first, as I've indicated, to reaffirm our full support um, uh, of the bill before us and um, and that uh, we ourselves um, uh, underwent a very extensive consultative process uh, within uh, the mass democratic movement, within the African National Congress itself, and with society broadly. We will also recommend some amendments uh, to, the, to the bill informed by the inputs from our own members, citizens, communities, sectors, and various stakeholders we have consulted and all uh, have made submissions to us uh, as well. Uh, we will also um, want to extend the appreciation as I've indicated, especially for the portfolio committee having gone to the length and breadth of our country, to rural and urban areas, to inform our settlements and to, to also ensure that everyone, including those that are in suburbs, uh, make uh, their voices heard, uh, and, and indeed, we would like to call on South Africans to join hands uh, and also join the people of the world uh, in the march to the realization of universal health coverage. Uh, therefore, Chair, we really um, want to support this process and uh, also um, uh, encourage uh, yourselves to do everything possible uh, to ensure that uh, the long-awaited uh, NHI Act uh, uh, becomes a reality. The, the next few slides, uh, we, we just take you through the journey uh, of um, the people of South Africa's aspiration uh, to have uh, universal health coverage. It didn't just start yesterday. Uh, as some of um, the critics say that uh, we are rushing, uh, this has not been a rushed process. Um, uh, from uh, the African claims, actually from around 1928 20, um, to date, it's uh, almost 94 years. 
um, that the South Africans have been trying and trying uh, to ensure that uh, uh, we indeed uh, ensure that health is a human right, that anyone who is ill uh, get gain access to quality health. And some of these efforts and initiatives were led at the front by the African National Congress. And we want to appreciate this from our bearers, but we also appreciate the likes of Dr. Hendrik Kruchman, who was a visionary uh, for his time, and, and many others, um, uh, Brunbeck and Shisana as well, at the beginning of our democracy, also contributed to this effort. So it has been an effort beyond the ANC, uh, but uh, of uh, the people of South Africa who are progressive. And we also outline here that all these efforts uh, resulted in uh, 2012. Um, all the people of South Africa across party political divides embracing the, the, the national health insurance system as part of a journey towards universal health coverage in the National Development Plan 2030, which was adopted in 2020, 2012. So um, it has been a journey. Uh, I did refer to the, the, the electoral mandate, and uh, here we were very specific when, when there was a proposal to the people of South Africa, and overwhelmingly uh, they gave uh, uh, us, uh, the six administration, uh, the, the mandate uh, to indeed um, ensure that the NHI becomes a reality. With respect to government, uh, government processes on the NHI span beyond uh, a decade. Uh, if you look at uh, when the Green Paper on the NHI was uh, uh, published for comment, that was around 2011, uh, and uh, not only once, but twice, there was a, a, a white paper um, uh, just to show how um, involving and participatory uh, and responsive the processes were in consulting um, the South Africans um, across all divides and to make sure that uh, by the time this bill is presented to yourselves, uh, which was in 2019, uh, the voice of South Africans has been um, uh, indeed uh, included in the, uh, the aspirations, um, the concerns and all that. Um, uh, so we, we also um, want to reiterate our support of um, the understanding of uh, the national health insurance um, uh, a policy and, uh, and the insurance bill, what the insurance bill uh, intends enacting. Firstly, we believe that this is a, a fundamental transformation of a fragmented, inefficient, and inequitable healthcare system. Uh, and that uh, the NHI Act uh, will integrate uh, the quality health uh, system. I, uh, we hear many of our of those that uh, have the fear and which the fears which we need to allay, uh, anxious that uh, uh, something will be taken away from some other people who have. Uh, but I think we'll acknowledge that uh, the inequalities that are there currently uh, cannot be justified any longer. Where almost half of uh, our economy. Um, the resources of health in our economy uh, only looks after 16% of the population, whereas the other half looks after 80%, and uh, the rest, it is out of pocket. Um, and, and even those that use the private health system uh, face financial um, 
difficulties should they have uh, some of the dreaded diseases going back to the under-resourced public health systems. We must also acknowledge, uh, and this uh, Dr. Maloko will go more into detail, uh, we must also acknowledge that uh, uh, the inequalities uh, themselves uh, are also as a result of uh, government in action, uh, adequate in action in reforming the financing of the health system. The fund therefore is uh, established to purchase healthcare services based on the principles of uh, social solidarity and equity according to health needs and uh, across uh, irrespective of socioeconomic status. Uh, and their aimed, the, the NHI is also um, aimed at better access by everyone to quality health services, uh, protection against the illnesses, uh, the illness-related financial hardships, and also for promoting e efficiencies. Uh, we want to, to, to really encourage the, the, the portfolio committee and parliament in general uh, to um, view the NHI as a very firm step, a move that moves South Africa closer to uh, universal health coverage. I did indicate that we'll come back to the issue of uh, uh, the financing. Uh, we will realize that uh, uh, the transformation of the health system uh, has uh, various uh, legs that all of them uh, need to be addressed. And in terms of uh, the, the service delivery platforms, uh, I, I don't want to go back but uh, because we're not dealing with the performance uh, so, uh, to date, but we need to, to reflect that the 25-year review indicated that uh, significant progress had been made in service delivery, which resulted in uh, uh, the improvement of, um, of the health of the children with the uh, child mortality uh, on the decline, maternal mortality on the decline, and life expectancy of South Africans indeed improving. Uh, primary health care has been strengthened uh, in rural and urban areas, uh, covering uh, those that uh, in the past didn't have access uh, to, to health services. Chairperson, uh, uh, when I was uh, in, in training um, and uh, my early years as a, as a medical doctor, there were many children who were dying in our heads uh, of mal severe malnutrition, what we refer to as kwashiorkor and marasmus. And uh, South Africa actually uh, uh, made a breakthrough. We hardly see uh, these cases anymore. The students of uh, maybe a, a decade ago in this democratic era, era uh, qualify without even having seen a single case. Yes, more needs to be done, uh, but uh, we must not throw away, uh, but build on the progress that we have made. We also know that uh, in terms of integration of the health system, uh, we have made some strides uh, early in the conceptualization of the NHI, um, in the piloting uh, processes, uh, the minister also integrated uh, the uh, GPs, primary health care of the private sector uh, and the public sector together. Um, and uh, if anything that we should learn uh, from COVID is that the government was leading society as a whole, public and private sector, for a response, and we worked well together as South Africans. So um, we need to allay the fears of uh, uh, the consequences of integrating the health system, but uh, more look at uh, the benefits uh, thereof. 
Um, so, so this uh, bill uh, focuses mainly on the finances, the health workforce, a lot of progress uh, indeed in making sure that uh, we expand the training platform, that we introduce community service and so forth and so forth. And uh, the, the health information system, uh, we have the, the, uh, an electronic information system currently in the uh, primary healthcare facilities and indeed uh, working with the, the uh, home affairs. Uh, we, we make sure that children are registered where they are born. Uh, these are some of the significant uh, uh, advances we have made. In terms of medical products, vaccines and technologies, uh, it's not only our clinics that provide medicines, uh, but also uh, private sector has been roped in uh, for chronic medication. Uh, and, and in terms of leadership and governance uh, as well, there has been efforts uh, in almost all areas. So this bill focuses mainly on uh, the financing, the reforms in financing uh, that will uh, 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 accelerate uh, and uh, root the, the, the transformation agenda indeed into uh, and, and move us into the universal health coverage. I did indicate that uh, the NHI places the health of the people at the heart of sustainable development at the productivity of our, uh, our, our society and our economy and also at the heart of uh, building a caring society, a happy and thriving nation. When I refer to happiness, I also deal with a high burden of, of, of stress in our community of mental uh, illness uh, and uh, happiness is, is also used to assess the extent to which um, the, the, a country is investor friendly. Uh, and we know that uh, many of our people uh, still need uh, have their needs uh, to be addressed to achieve this happiness. However, we're also responding to the global move towards universal health coverage. I'm going to now hand over uh, to Dr. Muluko, who will take us uh, through specific areas that uh, we believe uh, need to be amended. And we believe that these amendments uh, can be done in this process uh, by the Portfolio Committee and Parliament, and that uh, uh, this the, the act that has been delayed for so long need not be delayed any further. Our people have been waiting and it is now time uh, to deliver uh, uh, NHI. Thank you. Dr. Malou. Chairperson of the Portfolio Committee on Health, uh, Dr. Kenneth Jacobs, Honorable Members of Parliament, and members of the Portfolio Committee. I hope that I'm visible there. Invited guests, ladies and gentlemen, greetings from the African National Congress once more. Let me once again, uh, on behalf of the ANC, express our gratitude for this opportunity to address members uh, of the Portfolio Committee. And uh, on the matters of health as they relate to the uh, National Health Insurance Bill, the ANC appreciates this uh, opportunity. Just to give the context, let me mention that uh, 
the national health bill, which is based on the policy that is uh, enshrined in the white paper on the NHI, represent a substantial policy shift that will necessitate a massive reorganization and unification of the current health system, both public and private sector. It is aimed at transforming the fragmented two-tier health system that comprises of the private, of the public and private sector into a unified health system. It is not a bill that is aimed at reforming the health system. It follows in the footsteps of the 1997 white paper for the transformation of the health system in South Africa. Let me also emphasize the point that the passage of the NHI bill through parliament will provide government and the masses of our people in South Africa, black and white, rich and poor, not only the poor, with a legal framework that will enable them to attain our people's long-standing demand as expressed through the ages and captured in the body of declarations and programs as Dr. Ramokopa has already alluded to. We have definitely walked through this long journey. We have traveled through the long road to equitable health. And so let us use this process of passing the bill through parliament as the appropriate means of arriving at our destination, which is the NHI Act. Dr. Ramukhupa did touch on the milestones throughout the history of our country. But the most important thing that I would like to remind all of us as we are working on this is that from 1994 to, 19, to 2007, we have worked on trying to get an equivalent of this, and that was the uh, uh, SHI. And from 2017 to 2012 now, it is 15 years that our people have been waiting. Just to add, we also have to remember that, or to note that in the health sector, we are dealing with a highly concentrated supply market structures. Three hospital groups have a combined market share of 83%. And 16 med of 16 medical aid administrators in the market, two account for 76% of the market. The resolutions that had been taken as a foundation of what we are doing, we're aimed at strengthening the NH, the, 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 the health system. And uh, the ANC supports all the underlying principles based on the NHI policy. The, the principles that the ANC supports on the funding of the NHI include allocation from general tax revenue. Uh, and it also requires progressive real increase in allocations for health. Also that no one eligible will be allowed to opt out of the NHI and that the contributions will be shared between employer and employees. Now, the, um, the ANC affirms this aims and principles of the NHI bill. And those include the equitable access Health, that health is essential for human welfare and economic and social development. 
Health is a human right and not to be communified. And right to access to health, social solidarity, healthcare as a public good, affordability, efficiency, effectiveness, and appropriateness. The bill covers critical areas. And those areas that are covered in, uh, 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 by the bill, the important areas, they are strengthening the national health system. That is the most critical thing, strengthening the national health system, improving the quality of healthcare, affordability, best implementation, good governance of the NHI fund, the role and responsibilities of the Minister of Health, institutional arrangements, the role of private medical aid schemes, financial matters, transitional arrangements, and amendment of the relevant laws. We are aware that members of the portfolio committee are very familiar with the NHI bill and the definition of the NHI. As we have been working for so long on the bill, we are highlighting these definitions and we are highlighting these points just so that we can be at one in our discussions. The ANC supports, the support of the ANC for the specific objectives and principles of the NHI bill. The ANC has consulted widely amongst community sectors, health professionals, youth and elderly employers, workers and experts, and makes the following inputs that capture the aspirations of the millions of people. The ANC has also actively participated in parliamentary hearings that have been taking place across the length and breadth of our country. In the bill, the first um, area that the ANC would like to express its support is the preamble to the bill, as this is aligned to the Constitution of South Africa. It states and mandates that there be redress in the past of the past inequities, that health is a primary right for all citizens, and further states that government or state must ensure progressive realization of citizens to this right. The ANC um, in chapter one, which is the purpose to establish and maintain the NHI fund, the ANC supports the point that of mandatory payment system with its principle of mandatory contribution to pay, but according to their ability. This is to ensure social solidarity and sustainability of the NHI fund. The NHI fund established as and serving as a single purchaser and single payer fund, pooling of funds and strategic purchasing from accredited and contracted service providers. The ANC um, is of the view that the applicability of the act and the, the compliance of the NHI Act in the Constitution of South Africa, that is represented by the bill itself, are supported. The ANC supports plus 3.5 of the bill and believes that health is a non-tradable commodity that must be subject to, that must not be subject to the rigor and dictates of the market. It believes in putting the people first and not profits. Therefore, the NHI health services must be exempt from the said competition act. In chapter two, which is access to healthcare services, the ANC supports the population coverage, rise of users, healthcare service coverage and post coverage as stated in the NHI bill. On clause 4.2, the NAC, the, N, the ANC further proposes that the NHI Act must be 
uh, explicit about the need for all, especially illegal immigrants, to comply with the provisions of all South Africans' laws, uh, especially the South African Immigration Act. Further, to enhance resources of revenue for the fund and to cover immigrants, the role of multilateral bodies such as the UNHCR to ensure sustainability and affordability of the NHI fund. This must be added to clause 49 of the bill. Just on that clause, as it has been debated very vigorously, um, we should note also that at the level of government, the National Department of Health and the National Treasury and other related uh, departments have been given the responsibility of making sure that they look at the health services and the provision of those services to various kinds of immigrants and make sure that South Africa is able to contribute its part and all other structures are able to contribute their part. In chapter three, which is the NHI fund, the ANC supports the proposal on the establishment of the NHI fund as an autonomous public entity, as contained in Schedule 3A of the Public Finance Management Act, and proposal about the fund, fund functions of the fund and its power. The ANC um, supports the proposal on the establishment of the board of the NHI fund. Its constitution, composition, powers and functions, conduct and disclosures of interest, procedures, remuneration and reinvestment. It further proposes that the board of the NHI fund operates independently and implements rule of good governance. For those that might not be aware, there are structures and institutions in government which in the pursuance of good governance make sure that each and every member of the board belongs to the Institute of Directors of Southern Africa, thereby being forced to understand and live the principles of good governance. The ANC recommends that clause 15.3 of the NHI bill and act be, uh, be enhanced to direct that the board or its representatives and the minister meet every six months to share information as a practical expression of the relationship of the board and the minister, who is the executive authority, and the board, which is the accounting authority. Most boards meet quarterly to do their own business, and this is not what we are referring to here. In chapter five, the ANC supports proposals of the C on the CEO of the NHI fund and recommends that the appointment of the CEO be made in line with good governance practices stated in codes of good practice, such as the King Four report. The board should be appointed by the minister and the board in turn should appoint the CEO in consultation with the minister. The ANC proposes that clause 21 of the NHI bill under the relationship of chief executive officer with the minister and the administration be expressed in clearer terms. In under chapter six, on the committees to be established by the board, the ANC has studied that chapter and knows and agrees with the proposals about the committees to be established by the board of the NHI fund. Chapter seven, which is on advisory committees to be established 
The ANC supports the establishment of board structures and ministerial committees within the principle of technical competency, experience, accountability for performance and transparency, and that an independent body without any conflict of interest or perverse incentive, prices or levels of remuneration for personal health services such as consultation fees and all healthcare benefits for all categories of health professionals and service providers in the national health system, uh, including those who benefit from the NHI fund. Chapter 8, which is on the general provisions applicable to the operation of the fund. The ANC agrees that with the proposals on the general provision of the, of, of, uh, applicable to the operation of the fund, and that in the finalization of this chapter in the NHI Act, which must focus on the integration of the private and the public sector, not keeping the private sector and the public sector separate. It must clarify especially in discussions and enactment mechanisms pertaining to the development and maintenance of the national health information system. The role and place or location structurally of the district management uh, office, the contracting unit of prim on primary health care, the fund ICT system must be a fund management tool that is linked to the national health information system. The ANC proposes that clause 31 of the bill be enhanced by adding the third responsibility uh, to those responsibilities of the minister to 31.1b, integrating the annual five-year plans of the public sector and the private sector. This five-year integrated country plan, which must integrate the work and the services that are being delivered by the public and the private sector for the national health system must ensure the successful implementation and maintenance of universal health coverage for all South Africans with the involvement of all the sectors. Still in chapter eight, the ANC fully supports clause 33 of the bill as it is aimed at reducing fragmentation and creating a single funding pool based on principles of social solidarity and income uh, cross-subsidation. To enhance the intended objectives of Clause 33, Clause 88 b must be deleted as it allows for the duplicative environment that will bypass the objective of establishing the NHI fund as a single purchaser of comprehensive healthcare services. Um, it is very important, especially when we deal with this clause, especially for, to those who argue for the retention of the current status quo, that over and above strengthening the health system, the NHI bill is aimed at transforming this fragmented system but also that we should know that this is a phenomenal bill, one of the most important bills before parliament. The draft law whose uh, purpose, as we said earlier, is to bring about fundamental transformation and see to it that the national health system is just and equitable. Clause 34 of, of the bill is supported 
as the funds ICT system must be uh, 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 deployed as a fund management tool, as I've already mentioned. Chapter nine, which is on complaints and appeals, the ANC supports the proposals related to complaints and appeals. Chapter 10, which is on financial matters. The ANC regards the NHI bill as a clause 76 bill and not a money bill. It supports the sources of funds as stated in clauses 48 to 51 of the bill. As a point of emphasis, the bill will achieve the pooling of current resources and factor in equity to cover all citizens comprehensively, attain efficiency, and must be held accountable for effectiveness for outputs and outcomes. The ANC proposes that sources of funds be open quotes, the money currently available in the public and private sector for personal health services supplemented by money from the fiscal. This will debunk the prevalent myth of extra taxation. The ANC supports the clauses on auditing and annual reports with clarification of the legal framework of the NHI fund and medical aid schemes and the retention of investment of the funding allocations that are made to the NHI fund at the end of every financial year. Chapter 11, which deals with matters miscellaneous. The ANC supports proposals on the repeal and amendment of legislation affected by the act as reflected in clause 58 of the bill. It hereby calls upon those charged with the responsibility of this task of amending relevant legislation to work diligently to avoid delays once the NHI Act is passed. On the Memorandum of Objects, the ANC noted matters addressed in the Memorandum of Objects of the National Health Insurance Bill 2019, including compliance with parliamentary processes. The ANC concurs, as we emphasize, that the bill be tagged as Section 76 bill. The ANC has noted concerns raised by stakeholders, the general public, current owners, members, and employees of medical aid schemes, service providers, um, and many others, including the medical aid industry, during the media and uh, uh, during the consultations and also in the media. Of note is that very few of these concerns are about the translation of the NHI bill into the act but that most of these concerns relate to the current realities of services that are delivered by both the private and the public sector. This includes infrastructure, human resources, services, and customer experiences, which are good and bad in both sectors. While still on this point, let me also mention that it has, the ANC has noted that concerns, for example, of um, brain drain, uh, might be there, but those are some of the issues that are in human resources, which in the last many years 
um, the country has been able to deal with. The ANC, outside and inside of government, continue to attend to this concept in line with its mandate and decisions of the 2019 Presidential Health Summit and Compact. The ANC has learned from the, COVID, from the current COVID-19 local epidemic and uh, the, of critical importance is that there are benefits and costs to the health sector. Uh, in, there are costs and benefits to the, to, to the, to, to, to the uh, health sector in its intersectoral and, and intra-sectoral collaboration. Every action has got costs and benefits. Some well-intended programs that were designed to promote access to COVID-19 testing resulted in continued marginalization of the poor and the disadvantaged. The lack of vigilance by both the public and the private sector has resulted in the introduction sometimes randomly of policy changes into the funding and delivery of health services, which might have adverse effects on the implementation of the NHI. On the recommendations, the overall recommendation that the ANC is putting in front of this August body is that the portfolio committee and parliament note that the private, the primary objective of the NHI and the NHI bill is to strengthen the South African national health system through an appropriate health funding mechanism that will require changes and transformation, especially the unification of the public and private sector. Portfolio committee and parliament should know the contents of the submission that we did in 2019 and the presentation that we are doing now especially its understanding of the bill as understanding of the bill as a draft NHI Act aimed at providing the necessary framework for the establishment of the NHI fund and the implementation of the NHI. Also know the response given to concerns of representatives of various sectors of the South African populace. Note detailed recommendations that the ANC is tabling to the Parliamentary Portfolio Committee to assist expedite the passage of the bill through the National Assembly, with, through Parliament, with a view to establishment of a people-centered NHI fund, gradual and phased implementation, and full coverage of the entire South African citizenry, black and white, rich and poor, with, with, the, with the aim of attaining universal health coverage and the National Development Plan Vision 2030 the dictates of African Agenda 2063 and the Sustainable Development Goals. The ANC further recommends that Portfolio Committee and Parliament approve the NHI Bill with minor amendments as a transformation process that reaffirms health as a human right for all citizens and as a process to ensure the progressive access to rights by many who do not have access to good quality health services without the risk of financial or facing financial hardships. That it approved the NHI bill as a reaffirmation of health playing a critical role to improving the capabilities of the people of South Africa, their productivity and happiness. 
approves the National Health Insurance Bill as a sure enabler to attaining universal health coverage, as envisaged in the National Development Plan, African Agenda, and the Sustainable Development Goal. And also note that the ANC believes that Parliament can give hope to South Africa, that democracy can indeed um, continue to work for the well-being of all citizens. And that can be done if we expedite the passage through Parliament of the National Health Bill into a legal framework called the National Health Act. Just to expound on what the, uh, Dr. Ramokopa had said earlier on, the recommended NHI funding model that the ANC puts in front of this portfolio committee is the dominant public funding model. If one looks at the private funding model, which is the, which is the one that is operational in the United States of, 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 of America, where the market is the key player, it is the worst model, according to various research findings. The model that has been proposed by a number of people and institutions, which is called the blended funding model, um, which is a multiple public and private funders and insurers and private and public service providers, amounts to advocating the continuation of the current status quo. Many people who appeared in the, in, in, in the hearings have lauded Canada and the UK as the best models. And we are not saying that we have got to adopt their model, but that South Africa must construct its own unique model that is being proposed and that is being tabled through the NHI bill. It is very unfortunate that the best health care model, which gives universal and free health care services for all, is found in Cuba. And unfortunately, that is beyond the reach of South Africa at this point in time. I will, at this point, hand over to Dr. Ramokopa um, to conclude. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair, Honorable Members of the Portfolio Committees. Um, as we conclude, I would like to refer you uh, to the submission that we, we made in 2019, and that uh, this presentation augments that submission. Um, we did say that the ANC um, is uh, committed to executing its mandate in implementing the NHI and universal health coverage uh, financing with the agency. We also said that it also believes that we believe that health is not a commodity, but a human right. That the view is in line with what uh, Onurin Bevan, the UK Minister of Health, um, in who, who between 1945 and 1951 said, and I quote, open quote, illness is neither an indulgence for which people have to pay, nor an offense for which they, have, they should be penalized, but a misfortune of cost of which we should be, which be shared by community. 
and that no society can legitimately call itself civilized if a sick person is denied medical aid uh, because of lack of means. Medical aid mean, meaning that uh, they help, uh, medical help because of lack of means. We should be inspired. Um, I've, I've heard lots of uh, uh, concerns about uh, the issues of resources. We should be inspired by the United Kingdom as they introduce their universal health coverage in the midst of uh, an economic, a great economic difficult period post-World War. Um, but theirs was a commitment to make it work. It is more like us as South Africans, when we met um, uh, together, when we decided that uh, we will make South Africa work. There are still disparities, but we can make South Africa work. Um, uh, indeed, uh, there are benefits that um, uh, to individuals that uh, we are sharing with you. I will not go into details, uh, but uh, there will be shorter queues, shorter waiting times. Uh, they will be able to share the resources to have cleaner hospitals, uh, no medicine stock outs, good quality food and linen, a caring and courteous staff uh, as uh, the resources of the country are shared uh, to uh, equitably for health workers to share the burden as well. Uh, it is important uh, that uh, we, we say this to build on the progress made. Already the ideal clinics program uh, of improving quality in the public health system is taking root. There are also benefits for, for employers and also labor who would have a much better health status uh, for individuals' capacity to work and also for their productivity uh, and so forth. We, they, going this route also um, would benefit uh, our economy uh, and must be central to economic recovery and reconstruction, including post-COVID-19 uh, COVID uh, pandemic. Um, and we've also seen that working together, we conquered HIV AIDS and working together, we are conquering uh, the COVID pandemic. Uh, already, the president uh, has established a, a health uh, compact at the government level. Uh, and uh, part of that was to oversee and to make contributions, uh, which have been done by many of the participants uh, in advancing uh, this national health bill uh, to and enacting it into law. Inspired by uh, our uh, erstwhile president of the African National Congress, uh, Chief Albert uh, uh, John um, Lutuli, Lutuli uh, we, who said, I quote, I believe that here in South Africa, with all our diversities of color and race, we will show the world a new pattern of democracy. There is a challenge for us to set a new example for all. Let us sidestep, let us not sidestep this task. Uh, we implore all of South Africa not to sidestep this task of uh, equity in health. Um, uh, and all these presentations we're making, having ourselves been um, encouraged uh, by the multitudes of uh, uh, contributions made so far. Uh, and um, we're saying, let us put uh, the lives of uh, South Africans uh, first, uh, as health comes first. I thank you. 
Thank you very much, Dr. Gwen Ramachopa, Ms. Phoebe Potheter, and Dr. Konfi Moloko for your presentations. Uh, it is much appreciated. And we look forward to receiving some questions by the members. And if we'll be able to answer all of those questions as we proceed with this meeting. The following members would like to uh, raise questions with you. It's Honorable Wilson, Clark, Klangwa, Ismail, Suela, Sukacha, Gela, Harvard, Munyai. I'm going to repeat the order. Honorable Wilson, Clark, Klangwa, Ismail, Suela, Sukacha, Gela, Harvard, Munyai, and then obviously also myself. You may continue in that uh, order, honorable members. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson, and thank you to the ANC for the presentation. There's a couple of matters I'd like to raise. Um, the first one being, um, in one of your slides, the, it's a quote, government for its part uh, will honor uh, citizens um, by ensuring that resources are well managed. Well, according to the FFC, the Financial Fiscal Commission and the AG in recent reports, that was the single biggest failure of every department in the Department of Health. There was no management. The biggest collapse in the health system was as a result of mismanagement, and we won't even begin to start on the corruption that was recently unveiled by the SIU. Secondly, if the presenters will tell me, um, when people go to public health systems, to either clinics or public hospitals, depending on what is closest to them, what exactly are they paying? Will you give us an indication of what their out-of-pocket costs are at those facilities? Because our understanding is that they are actually heated there for free. Um, I wanted to deal particularly with um, taking money from medical aid or the private sector to boost the NHI. There's a common English saying that you can't rob Peter to pay Paul. And if you do that, one or other is going to suffer. If you are going to rob Peter to pay Paul, Peter will suffer. There's no point in taking money from one or denying one sector of the health um, um, facilities in order to bolster the other because the second one will collapse. And, in, and during COVID, it was proved that without the private sector, that the public sector would not have coped at all. I am a bit concerned that you are still promoting the fact that robbing Peter to pay Paul is, a, is a, an, an advantage, number one, and two, obviously, uh, one questions the constitutionality. I'm a little bit concerned about the downplaying of malnutrition um, that was was brought up in this presentation. In, the, in a 2021 UNICEF presentation, um, and it was the world, and I'm dealing particularly with the World Health Assembly, South Africa would have 1.7 million stunted children in 2025, which is twice as high as the 900,000 children, um, which was the target. One third of children in hospitals, deaths are as, as a result of malnutritional diseases related to death. 27% of children are stunted. They will never meet their full growth potential. 
Most of these children are born under weight um, at the, on the date of their birth. This is because mothers are not healthy and getting sufficient um, nutrition to support pregnancies and babies. Now, that is a poverty issue, and we understand the extent of poverty in this country. But in 80% of those cases, those mothers do not have reasonable access to health care. They've got to go miles to get to a local clinic. They don't have the fuel. When they get there, they have to sit for hours um, under, in, under very trying situations. How exactly do you think the NHI is going to change that? Um, if there's no access, there's no access. And if we do not address this very, very quickly, um, we are going to have a generation of children who cannot meet their full potential, which is going to have a severe economic impact on this country. So I think while malnutrition may have improved, to say that nobody sees malnutrition or stunted children today, I think is a little bit misleading. Um, I need to catch a bus chair, um, so I'll make this last one brief. We're sitting at over 120 billion rand of medical health claims in this country at the moment. If even half of those um, are won in court, we are going to sit with the bill for 60 billion rand that needs to be paid out. That is not including what already needs to be paid out and what was granted in recent court cases. How exactly, if we are going to take that kind of money out of the NHI, does one propose that the NHI will cope. Treasury has already advised that in our current economic climate, NHI is quite simply not affordable. I thank you, Chair. Honorable Doc. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, my first question. <coughs> And I've got many questions, but I've cut them down because I am sensitive that we are on a time restriction here. So how will government deal with the systemic corruption and lack of will to end it? Will the NHI not become yet another no-help intended plan and a cash cow for more corruption? <coughs> I'm sorry. Considering this country's loss of 1.5 trillion rand to corruption during 2014-2019 alone. The recent looting of COVID relief fund shows that one out of every two rand was stolen, while 62% of contracts were found to be irregular. <coughs> How will the NHI mitigate this systemic behavior. Um, it has been noted that the current costs of healthcare in South Africa is over 450 billion based on both public and private healthcare spending. The true universal health cost could at least amount to that. Originally estimated for estimations for the cost of the scheme were put at 256 billion rand a year. However, it is now up to the National Treasury to determine the true costs for now, for, for this is unknown. The question is, how will the NHI be financed while the bill has earmarked payroll and other taxes to be levied in time? It would be on 
on an already over, overburdened tax base beyond the broad plan, there is no specific specifics where these taxes will come from and how big they will be. The question remains, what will be covered? Do, do we fund a model which is outcome based? Will and will only be over and will this be over, this will only be over time. For now, all we know is that the coverage is to be bureaucratically decided at some point. And I just want to mention um, 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 an issue that was raised when the DA did their presentation um, about um, the GDP growth going forward after pandemic. So about 9% of the GDP is currently spent on healthcare in South Africa, which is in line with the global average. South Africa already spends a lot more than comp comparative emerging markets on healthcare as percentage of GDP. But we are getting value for we aren't getting value for money because the state's inefficiency and major corruption causes that for us. Our spending as percentage of GDP is on par with countries like Italy, Iceland, and Slovenia, but we get worse outcomes because the public sector wastes money and has a severe corruption problem. I just want to get to the next question because I don't want to ask all of them. Um, in slide 28, there's a mention that the board operates independently and implements rules of good governance. Can you please elaborate on what you mean by good governance? And in your presentation, um, there was a mention that the board members belong to the Institution of Boards of South Africa. You know, just a question. I mean, did Dudu Mnyeni belong to, um, to the same um, uh, institution? and we just see what happened there during um, the issues with SAA and, and, you know, because she was a political appointee. And we really have to guard against that kind of, um, of, of, of um, process going forward. Then um, some criticism, the NHI bill for being driven by ideology and greed rather than sound research and evidence-based policymaking. How would you respond to these to these critics? And in slide 12, the presentation makes a sweeping statement that NHI benefits will be comprehensive and in line with an in, with individual needs for healthcare without risk of financial hardship. Can you please elaborate on this? What is included and excluded in the comprehensive cover? How can you guarantee? it won't lead to financial hardship. I thank you, Chairperson. Honourable Sengwa. I will move on to Honorable Ismail. Honorable Sengwa, if you can hear me, you can post. Oh, there you are. Honorable Sengwa is next. Yes. Thank you, Chairperson. Let me welcome the presentation from ANC. I have a couple of questions. One, what, what financial visibility studies 
have been taken to justify the proposal. Why has no such financial visibility studies with reference to latest economic indicators been made available for the public to view the consider taking into account to scale of the proposal? What alternative to the NHI fund were considered by the governing party to strengthen the universal access to health care? Lastly, many stakeholders have pointed out critical constitutional concern with the proposal bill. Is it your view that this bill is its current format is constitutionally compliant and will not unjustify infringe on the constitutional rights of the people of the people of South Africa? I thank you. Uh, good afternoon, and thank you to the ANC for the presentation. Uh, I just have a few questions. Now, you stated in your presentation that the ANC were in attendance at public hearings and have listened to the, you know, the people and the thoughts of the people. Now, most of our public reps from all parties were present as much as possible. I want to highlight that many people that attended these hearings highlighted the major lack of service delivery from the public healthcare sector. Examples are lack of an efficient EMS service, shortage of staff at facilities, bad state of infrastructure at our public health care facilities, the long lines that they have to wait before they can get any service, and most actually stated and recommended that the present infrastructure needed to be attended to first before we can even think of the NHI. Now, further to that at the public hearings, we also had doctors, you know, healthcare workers that also had something to say. And doctors stated that while they are totally in agreement with the uni with universal healthcare, they would not want to practice in an environment of a non-efficient healthcare se sector, as this would not allow them to work under the Hippocratic oath they take. Considering all this, do the ANC then not think we should address the current shortcomings, such as critical skills required, as stated by both Denosa? and the Hospital Association of South Africa so that we can have sufficient critical skills and theater nurses before the implementation of the NHY so that we can ensure effective service delivery to the country. My second question. At most of the public hearings, the issues raised was the corruption in government and the abuse of state funds. We know the NHI bill is looking at billions of rents. Now, taking this into consideration, in conjunction with the COVID corruption and SIU investigations, as well as the Digital Vibes saga. Would you then not agree and recommend parliamentary oversight to improve the accountability and legitimacy of the board, rather than, the pre rather than a minister appointing the board, as we've already seen a huge dilemma of corruption with the previous minister of, of health? In your opinion, is the ANC. Has the department adequately planned for the NHI, taking into consideration that the pilot projects were not an effective measuring tool for the establishment of the NHI? 
Would you not then recommend that we start this process again with effective pilot projects, measurements in place, so that we can ensure that the proper feasibility studies are done? I'm also going to be cutting off some of my questions, Chair, just to ensure that we have enough time. Now, considering that the Office of Health Standards and Compliance presently can't manage to monitor even 20% of our healthcare facilities, and the fact that these facilities need to reach certain compliance requirements under the NHI, and obviously the basic starting point is primary healthcare, and that would be also the clinics. Now, we know that all our public health facilities are not up to standard, and that most of these public facilities will not be able to operate under the NHI. Won't this impact on service delivery and equal access to quality health services, which is the intention of the bill. Now, most presenters highlighted that the referral pathways are labor intensive and could negatively impact timelines and adversely affect the health of patients. I'm talking about our NHI submissions. Will the ANC then agree with us? If not, please specify or explain your reasons for non-agreement. You know, when I'm looking at the referral pathways, I'm looking at people with rare disease and disabilities, and most especially. My last question. Uh, considering, you know, that we are now 27 years into democracy, and I state this clearly, and I'm saying it again, I've said it in the, in the DA presentation today. Considering that we are now 27 years in a democracy under the present government, and this in this 27 years, nothing constructive was done to fix the dysfunctional, if I may use the word, healthcare sector. How does the ANC contemplate that in a few years in the implementation of the NHI, we will actually have an efficient and professional healthcare system in our country? You know, you talk about governance structures and these are all in place. Now, how effective would you say the present governance structure is operating under, considering that we have so many SIU investigations and PPE corruption that the country has seen with the COVID pandemic where really services and monies for the people were supposed to be spent on the people. Thank you, Chair. Chairperson, uh, thank you. And uh, once again, greetings to the, to the colleagues. And let me also welcome the, the presentation by the ANC. And uh, it is heartening to know that the A ANC support the NHI bill. She, I've got two or three questions to ask. One, there have been complaints that the bill is rational. How does the ANC respond to these allegations? Secondly, some organizations have complained that the bill usurps the role and power of provinces. Has the ANC engaged with provinces in which it is governing? And what is the position of these uh, provisions? Lastly, in slide 10, you have proposed that the relationship between the minister and the, the administration of the fund must be further clarified. What is the firm proposal that the ANC is making in respect of this? Thank you. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Um, let me also thank uh, the team from the ANC, Comrade Phoebe, 
Comrade Tuanfi and uh, Comrade Tuen for a wonderful uh, presentation. You know, I was listening and I, it was just music to my ears. Thank you very much, comrades, for, for that presentation. And um, I think I heard Comrade Gwen clearly when she said they went out as the ANC and have a an extensive consultation process. And that clearly indicates that what they've given us here and presented are actually the views of our masses. Uh, thank you very much for that presentation. Just a few questions from my side. Um, the, the first one, uh, um, the ANC asserts that they support um, the NHI bill as a Section uh, 76 bill. My question to you is, uh, what is the basis of this support? Is the ANC not of the view that the NHI bill should be tagged as a money bill and under the authority of the National Treasury? and the Ministry of Finance. And my second question, uh, Honorable Chairperson, in slide 23, uh, the ANC uh, have indicated uh, their support for a single fund funding pool and a single purchaser of comprehensive healthcare services. What is the view of the ANC of the medical schemes administrators playing uh, an intermediary role such as the role they play in the current medical scheme environment. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, let me also welcome the presentation from the ANC and also appreciate the support for the NHI. Uh, ANC is the leader of the society, and they know uh, the NHI is the right thing to implement in South Africa. Uh, Chairperson, um, I've got uh, two questions that I want to ask uh, the ANC. Uh, my first question, what level of uh, GDP spending on the health does the ANC believe is the reasonable a, a target to aim for. The second one, uh, governance is an issue that has been raised in several uh, presenta uh, presentations. Does the ANC not uh, think that a cabinet committee may be a, a better option to appoint the NHI board and then uh, leave it to the board uh, to appoint the CEO and executives. Thank you very much uh, for the presentation. Thank you, comrades. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Just one question. Can the ANC clarify for the why in slide 24 says that the issue of extra taxation is a myth? Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. May I please proceed? You may, Honorable yeah. Monier. Uh, firstly, let me welcome this 
very powerful presentation from the African National Congress, which was very comprehensive and clarified all details of the NHI bill that we know it to be. But let me start with the first question. But uh, some, some question, Honorable Chair. In slide five, the African National Congress have indicated uh, the constitutionality the, 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 the of the NHI bill. Uh, some presenters have complained that the bill is infringing on the human rights of the citizen of South Africa, such as their right uh, uh, freedom of choice, and the bill is regressive. Uh, to a degree, they said they argued that the 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 the, the, the bill will not pass the the constitutional master. Uh, what is the position of the ANC on this allegation that has been presented? On, in slide 17, the African National Congress presentation, uh, you have indicated that um, to address the burden imposed on illegal and undocumented immigrants on the health system, uh, the role of multilateral uh, structures such as the uh, UNHCR and the African Renaissance Fund to support funding for healthcare systems. Can the ANC please clarify further how this can be implemented? My other question, my other uh, comment uh, or other question, in the presentation of the ANC, and um, you know, they clarified this issue of the two-tier systems and how it continued to perpetuate the inequality within South Africa and making sure that 84% of the, of the population remains with no access to money. Can the ANC expand in that manner? Lastly, Honorable Chair, there's been an issue that has been raised by others, not necessarily by the ANC, that the issue of, of um, of the, the wanting to challenge the powers of the ministers in from Gauteng. Here in Gauteng, the mayor of, 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 of the DA, then Tswane, appoint the board. The mayor of the DA in Johannesburg do the same. And, and and also in Cape Town, the so-called ministers, which are supposed to be MEC, they also get involved in the appointment of the board. But the board will be independent and do their own work. Why do you think? What the, why the ANC should think that these issues, uh, you know, of good governance uh, uh, should remain as they propose? Because we think. Uh, for you to change the the the, the, the con, for you to change the role of the minister in the executive, as enshrined in the constitution, you need a constitutional reform. What is the view of the ANC? Lastly, I must say, um, honourable chair, the ANC, the ANC. What is the view of the ANC by some organisation that comes with the myth 
that this field uh, is uh, uh, there will be no money. Yet all the policies are funded from the general taxation. Uh, if the ANC can clarify. Thank you very much, honorable members. I will now also raise a few questions to the presenters of the African National Congress. My first point speaks to a possible contradiction and what your view is on that contradiction that has been raised about uh, National Treasury and the Minister of Finance who do not support the implementation of the NHI. And the question is whether it's possible that a department and a ministry can, in government can make such assertions such as that the country cannot afford to commence NHI as the desired form of the health reform. And the uh, second point speaks to um, your recommendation that the ministers should, ministers rather, should regularly meet to oversee the proceeding of, uh, or proceedings of the NHI fund. Is this proposal aimed at enhancing governance within the fund or is it based on some of the lessons cited as having been learned when the country dealt with COVID? And I ask this clarity uh, regarding the mandate of the minister um, and, and thinking that maybe some clarification is needed from your side if the proposal made uh, by the presenter is to be considered. And my last uh, point to you speaks about uh, the statement that was made that some programs are designed uh, to promote access to testing or, or rather some programs which had been designed to promote access to testing has resulted in uh, or have resulted in marginalization of the poor and the disadvantaged. So what lessons must the uh, NHI then learn uh, from this experience and us as the portfolio committee? to take home as take home messages. Thank you very much. Uh, you're very welcome to reply to all of these uh, questions and we look forward to your replies. Thank you. Uh, um, Dr. Ramakopa? Or Dr. Maloko? Okay. Uh, good afternoon once again. I hope that you can now be, you, you are now able to hear us. Yes, we can. Please proceed. Yeah, I, I will I will start with a few with answers to a few questions. And then uh, uh, Dr. Rabukopa will, will follow. And if there are any questions that maybe we have not been able to cover, um, we, we will uh, submit those uh, in, in writing. Uh, before even answering, let me just indicate here that uh, when uh, uh, May Harvard asked a question, we did, not get the, we did not get the question. So it will be highly appreciated if we, if we can get that, uh, that question. Um, starting with the, with, with, with the last questions that the chairperson had asked, 
uh, about uh, the proposal that the minister should regularly meet with the fund. This is not a proposal where we are saying that the minister must meet with the fund um, to manage the fund. But uh, it is a proposal that is saying it is very good practice, even in terms of governance, that uh, the shareholder regularly meets, not for the sake of, um, of, 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 uh, of, of, of negotiations, but to get briefings as to what is it that the, the uh, fund is doing and also the, hand, the, the, the health of the fund, and also to be able to exchange ideas that will make sure that uh, the minister is at all times, even if uh, he, the, the board is independent and it is able to carry out its activities, that the minister uh, all the time uh, stays out there with what is it that is, that, that is, uh, that is, that is happening with the fund. There are a good local, what I would call local good practices and also international good practices, where you find that uh, the minister is able uh, to meet with a particular uh, a board and um, the, or the deputy minister is able to meet with a particular board uh, regularly. And uh, that strengthens, the, strengthens both um, the, 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 the board, the institution, and also um, strengthen the oversight role. Um, you did mention, uh, you did ask a question about the some of the, 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 the lessons, and you specifically were asking about uh, the programs that uh, during the time of COVID, some of them were very well meant, but at the same time, it was found that manner in which they were being run, um, the, there were people, especially the poor, who, would, uh, who ended up being uh, disadvantaged. I will be very specific on this one and say that we had a very good fund uh, which uh, 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 promoted access to testing by people who could not be able to go to big centers and also uh, to go to uh, the big hospitals. But in many instances, um, the testing sites were found in urban, in very uh, elite shopping malls. And the condition of testing at times would be that they would only test people who are coming in on a drive, uh, on a drive-in basis. You don't get out of the car and you get tested and you drive away. Now, the bulk of the people that are coming from townships and townships and squatter camps do not have cars, and many of those people were turned back. So, some of those things uh, we would, if we are talking about uh, universal access to services by everybody, it means that. Working together as the public sector and the private sector, we have to be able to reach everybody, including the poorest of the poor. The, there was a question that was asked about um, the, uh, uh, the constitutionality of the bill. Um, the, uh, the, the ANC of the view, that uh, the NHI bill uh, will be able to pass the constitutional master. Um, on the issues of uh, human rights um, and uh, the constitutionality, the, it is mentioned that 
Um, when we are looking at constitutionality, you must, we must be looking at the equality, we must be looking at dignity, we must be looking at the right to life, the right to health care, and all this, that the, and right to social security. And all this that we are mentioning, the bill does make a provision that uh, the, this not be uh, uh, evaluated. It is interesting that uh, the question was also asked in the context of regressive rights and uh, progressive rights. But unfortunately, it sounded to me like when we are talking about the NHI uh, making um, being a funding mechanism that will make it possible for everybody to be able to get certain rights, the argument was that um, the status quo must be left the way it is because it will compromise those that already have the rights. Um, I'm not very, I, I do not think that it is correct to say that the bill itself um, is, will be, is, is unconstitutional because it in any way uh, 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 erodes those. It says that access to health will be equal and there will be equity for everybody. In South Africa, we talk about black and, black and white, and we also talk about rich and poor. So instead of having a situation like we are having today, where 87% of the budget services a very small percentage of the population, and the bulk of the population gets a very meager budget, and as a result, they are not able to get what you get in a private hospital as what you get in a public hospital. The NHI will make sure that uh, that equity uh, is struck and uh, it is constitutional on that one. There is also, when we talk about constitutionality, people were talking about whether it will pass the constitutional master as it applies to universality and the rights of immigrants. The submission, um, the, 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 sub, the, the submission that the, the ANC has made, it is very clear that it advocates that the laws of this country have got to be applied and be applied correctly. And it even emphasizes that everything has got to be done within the constitution and also be done within the law, especially the provisions of the South African immigration uh, immigration Act. Um, we have to remember that anyone uh, who is in South Africa, including the, uh, the, the, the illegal immigrants, they are covered when it comes to emergency services, when it comes to services for notifiable diseases, and all children of such immigrants and, uh, and, and also um, the people who are applying for asylum are entitled to basic healthcare services. Now, in the, same, um, in the same breath, the ANC has put it that we have to look at the resources that are available through um, multilateral bodies, through the African Renaissance Fund, and also through the, United, the UNHCR, and make sure that those um, resources that are being made available to other countries to do exactly what we want to do. We have to be able to access that.
Um, when we talk about constitutionality, we also refer to whether we can say that public participation was sufficient and consultations were clear. On that point, the bill uh, passes it in, with flying colors. The issue of affordability, um, the, the, um, it has been stated very clearly that the current resources that are available in the private and in the public sector, which are carrying the health system, is the first source of funds. And that additional uh, uh, allocations will be made where necessary. Um, I have not had anybody um, uh, in the very uh, uh, recent past talking about this, but if we were to look at the fact that currently we have medical aid, private medical aid, the closed one and the open ones, where a, only a small percentage of the workforce is making contributions. If the NHI uh, bill says that contribution must be made by all, and no one who is in a position to contribute will be exempted from contributing. And we know, and it also says that the contribution will come from the employees and also the employers. What it really means is that we must be able to sit down and quantify that. And we will see, to, we will see that the source of funds will be adequate and the NHI will be affordable. Of course, there will, be, there will still be some more work that would be done. So the role of provinces, the uh, constitutional structures and the governance of the fund, uh, all those are covered by the NHI bill. And this is one of the reasons why we are very convinced as the ANC that um, the bill we, is constitutional. Just to add one small thing, when the bill, um, when the, the, the policy is made, and also the bill is prepared for submission to parliament. It is, uh, it is imperative, it is, it is in fact a question of must that cabinet must be favored with all the, 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 the reasons and proof that um, the, 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 the policy and the bill um, complies with the constitution and that the, the it, it, we can say that it proves the constitutionality of the of the bill. I will stop here, and uh, Dr. Ramokopa will come in. And if there are still other questions, we might still have to come. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Chair and uh, Honourable Members. Um, can I please uh, can I welcome the questions and uh, also the. Um, appreciations of our submission. Um, if maybe I, I should start with a correction uh, for uh, um, uh, the Honorable Member Wilson. Um, she, she indicates that I said there is no malnutrition. That's not what I said. I said severe malnutrition. And I also mentioned Kwashiorkor and marasmus. Um, uh, I acknowledge that uh, we still have a way to go in terms of dealing with the, you know, the uh, issues of uh, of stunting, um, which is a major, major challenge uh, for our children and um, other uh, mal malnutrition uh, aspects. 
However, also in dealing with malnutrition, uh, it is this democratic government uh, that uh, has also instituted uh, 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 making sure that there is um, a fortification, uh, putting nutrition in uh, stable foods uh, to also ensure that mothers uh, and, and also our workers and, and uh, children, well, as they eat the stable foods, uh, there is also uh, fortification with the nutritious uh, elements like vitamins and all that. And this relates to, uh, for instance, the milli meal and, and that. So the efforts have been there, the results are there, but more still needs to be done. Uh, and that's what we call social determinants of health and the, the economy and the inequities in our country still put our children much more vulnerable. Uh, we haven't arrived as yet. Uh, the, the other issue in terms of uh, medical aid um, uh, expenditure uh, as a, a, an indicator of uh, the cost of healthcare, I think this is not um, a correct uh, uh, way of looking at it because uh, uh, in a number of uh, cases, the same healthcare service that you get uh, reasonably in the public sector is um, unaffordable in the private sector. And that is why even today, uh, when uh, the medical aid or uh, own resources for those that pay out of pocket are, uh, are already um, you know, exhausted, uh, every South African is entitled to, serve, to be serviced by the public health system. Uh, having been in the public health system, we have received many of our, uh, especially middle strata, whose uh, medical aid benefits get exhausted as they are in ICU uh, or as they are undergoing cancer treatment. And um, the public health system had to expand continuously to ensure that every South African does access uh, services. Uh, and it, the, 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 the expenditure in the private sector currently as is, and also as alluded by the Competitions Commission, uh, is not and cannot be a proxy because uh, it is uh, excessively uh, expensive. And that is why even uh, with the uh, public health measures like uh, immunization uh, for children, like uh, vaccination now with COVID, um, you know, access to um, the antiretrovirals, government has to plan for all South Africans, just in case uh, the private health sector fails them. So in a way, government has always been planning uh, for everyone, regardless of uh, socioeconomic status, and government has provided everyone um, uh, uh, regardless. Um, in one of my consultations, the issue of out-of-pocket, one of my consultations at one of the public hospitals uh, because I didn't have a medical aid, I had to pay um, 5,000 rings uh, for uh, admission over, over three, three nights. Uh, so out-of-pocket is extremely expensive for an ordinary South African. And that is why we, uh, the principle of um, uh, the health care being free at the point of care uh, is important uh, as such. The, 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 indeed, um, the issue of uh, access is, is important, but I think it should be noted that uh, uh, regardless even of uh, provincial capacities, national government has um, uh, invested in uh, 
a rollout of a clinic uh, program, a building program, and also resourcing it with the competent uh, nurses. And, and, and we've also included uh, uh, doctors in uh, the larger clinics. Uh, and I can attest, uh, I can take members to, to clinics that are compliant with ideal clinic standards. Uh, many are making efforts. Many of our health managers, our health workers are making efforts and uh, there is improvement uh, in a number of uh, uh, public health services. Uh, the state-of-the-art hospitals that have been built, um, uh, I think of note, um, institutions like Steve Biko has been built in this democratic era uh, by, with the support of National Kaya state-of-the-art uh, uh, for, for, for that community has been built uh, with a huge investment from national government. Jamiston, uh, uh, the Bethaclawa state-of-the-art uh, facility have been built in this era. Uh, but this is not adequate, and that is why transformation can be slowed. It needs to be fast-tracked. Uh, before I left as the MEC for Health, I'd already begun engagement with uh, some of the private hospitals uh, to utilize their spare capacities to reduce the waiting lists uh, for, for in the public sector. So initiatives are already there uh, to collaborate uh, for the best interest of the of, of our people, of every South African and all the people in South Africa. Uh, Honorable Member Tlak, uh, indeed, um, many of us are, are shocked um, uh, and uh, are, are angry and um, are betrayed uh, but by those who we trusted, uh, who are, 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 are involved, who are proven to have been involved uh, in corrupt activities, stealing uh, from the people's purse, uh, whether they are from the public sector or from the private sector, whether they are ANC members or members of the DA or members of whatever party, uh, whether they are professionals or they are support staff, Anyone found stealing, uh, defrauding the state, defrauding is defrauding the people of South Africa. We must have zero tolerance to corruption. Um, uh, we must commit all of us uh, to implementing, amongst others, the Zondo Commission and strengthening uh, the capacity of our uh, uh, anti-corruption uh, efforts. And uh, we must also welcome the fact that uh, uh, there is a, a, a collaborative effort of an adoption of an anti-corruption strategy uh, at a national level, which I believe needs to be, um, you know, de expanded to all, 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 all levels at a provincial and a local level, so that it's not only a national collaborative effort, but also at all levels of, of, of our society and, and, and government. Uh, that will join hands to fight uh, corruption. South Africa is not unique in this uh, regard. We must also benchmark and learn uh, from countries that have been successful in this regard. Uh, but indeed, amidst all, there are those who have been in the public service uh, who have served this country uh, with an impeccable record of, uh, in, uh, of stretching even the rent uh, that is there. The rapid um, expansion of the clinic building program uh, was also because there were standardized uh, 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 plans. Uh, you didn't have to, for every clinic, have uh, uh, an architecture. 
there were standardized, um, uh, you know, uh, structures uh, in line with what is required for health facilities. Uh, but we know that in other facilities, because of uh, use of not the, the standards that are there, uh, some of those facilities had to be rebuilt, a wastage indeed. There I agree with those uh, members uh, that uh, have uh, indicated so, including uh, member member Clark as well. Uh, 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 so we need to, to send, all of us, send a zero tolerance to corruption. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, cost, I, I still look forward to, um, uh, especially our previous minister uh, being cleared of those uh, allegations. Uh, I still can't believe that he could have been uh, involved, uh, but indeed, if uh, he, he, he's found guilty, it would really be a, a great disappointment, uh, and uh, indeed, not only to me, but to all of, uh, of us having served the public uh, with distinction in terms of uh, enabling us to, 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 to write uh, the, the, this um, uh, cloud of, uh, of, of COVID-19. Um, the, the, the issue of um, uh, not getting value for money, uh, indeed, um, there, is a, there, is, there is more that needs to be done uh, to account for every cent that we use, both in the public and the private sector. Because the cent we use in the private sector, it is medical aid funds, and medical aids are not profit-making institutions. They hold the contributions of uh, employers and, and employees uh, in trust. Uh, so, and I, I have no doubt if we look at, at uh, uh, assessing that, like the Competitions Commission has done, uh, we will find that there's a lot of wastage currently in the health system overall. Uh, any guarantees um, that um, uh, the NHI, when passed, will not uh, uh, will prevent financial hardships? Uh, we can benchmark uh, with the countries that. Uh, Dr. Malukwa has referred to, and many other more. Uh, the knowledge is there uh, globally that this works. And if it can work for the British, it can work for South Africans. Um, and uh, uh, South Africans also deserve to have uh, protection from financial hardships uh, as well. So uh, there is a, a global um, experience that we can benchmark against. And that's why the world, the, the, the UN has uh, included uh, the universal health coverage uh, in uh, the SDGs. And what is comprehensive? I think the definition of comprehensive, the act uh, uh, does uh, refer to uh, preventative, uh, promotive, uh, curative, and rehabilitative services. So it is important that, uh, uh, you know, contribution, we've heard from a number of uh, health workers who were saying, I want to see uh, the services by mental health uh, workers there. I want to see the physiotherapy services. I want to see this and that service. Uh, I think, uh, and indeed, we, we, this is one area that uh, uh, we need to all have comfort in uh, and the certainty uh, on. Uh, but comprehensive refers to that. Um, uh, with a plethora of illnesses, you can't um, uh, identify each one of them. Uh, but uh, it is the standard definition uh, uh, guided by the, the WHO as well. Uh, Member Shongwa, I think the issue of uh, financial feasibility studies, um, I think if we can, there has been attempts, um, as I've, uh, we've referred to the Bloomberg Sishana 
there has been a, a number of, 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 of studies done uh, that, uh, that since uh, the democratic era and uh, the consensus uh, which, and I want to quote what the president uh, uh, said, um, excuse me, he said that when, when, in, when introducing, when, when uh, in, uh, signing off, uh, cabinet signed off uh, the, this NHI bill, uh, the president uh, he, he dealt with that consent because uh, it is a, a bill uh, that has been sanctioned by all of cabinet, both uh, the ministers, all ministers, including the minister of finance. Uh, and the uh, president said uh, in August 2019, and I quote, uh, we have enough resources in this country to give every man, every woman, and every child healthcare. But we refuse because we want to promote the interest of the few to the detriment of the rest. We shall change this, and we are irrevocably committed to do this, close quote. Uh, it is important that uh, we note that South Africa already spent, um, I think it's now 9%, it was about 8 point something percent of uh, the GDP, of, of uh, health expenditure, uh, GDP uh, expenditure on health. And this is far above uh, the recommended um, uh, WHO um, expenditure, percentage expenditure uh, as such. So the resources are there. It is a matter of uh, aligning all our resources to ensure that no one is left behind, uh, and uh, 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 including not taking away uh, from those that have, or, uh, but ensuring that we, we assure them um, uh, protection against uh, financial um, uh, uh, hardships. Uh, yeah, I think um, uh, in terms of um, the impact on quality of healthcare, the health uh, uh, compliance issues, I have addressed it, that uh, yes, we, we have a long way to go, uh, but uh, reforms or transformation in the financing of healthcare will help um, fast track more health facilities to be uh, compliant with the ideal clinics. The, uh, well, I guess there are those that are cynical that believe that nothing constructive has been done um, uh, with the ANC government since 1994. Um, maybe there's very little we can uh, say to that uh, because uh, the South African people themselves um, uh, must speak on that. And the South African people are the ones uh, that uh, have to be respected uh, their views uh, and that uh, we, we, there are certain areas of life that we should uh, minimize uh, party politicking uh, and, and rather ensure um, social cohesion and uh, social solidarity. Uh, in terms of um, um, uh, Honorable Member Siwela, um, the bill is, is, is not rational. Uh, uh, the, the bill is not irrational as, uh, as um, uh, others have um, alluded to. And I think uh, I will not go more into details, but um, it will stand uh, the constitutional scrutiny uh, as not only the, the, the scrutiny of law in South Africa, but the scrutiny of law within the African uh, 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 Union uh, and the scrutiny of law also globally. Uh, uh, and uh, where we need to tighten, I think let's look at how we can tighten uh, but uh, we, we should uh, all be vigilant that uh, 
uh, we work within the constitutional perspective, understanding that the constitution uh, has, uh, been, has made it very clear in the Bill of Rights that uh, health uh, is, a, is a fundamental human right and no one uh, must, uh, must be left behind. And that the state must ensure progressive realization of this right as well. Uh, and uh, the, co the constitutional courts, um, it, it would be regrettable if uh, uh, this bill has to be challenged, but I have no doubt that uh, should it be challenged, uh, the constitutional court uh, would interpret the rationality uh, and uh, the constitutionality of this uh, bill in line with the constitutional prescripts uh, that uh, South Africans uh, have uh, embraced. Uh, the, 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 uh, the issue of the powers of provinces uh, is also a constitutional matter uh, and needs to be resolved constitutionally. When we hosted uh, the, the uh, World Cup, the Soccer World Cup, uh, we ensured that uh, we have seamless uh, legislation in the best interest of the ability of the country to succeed. Uh, we set as the three spheres and we aligned uh, our various uh, uh, powers. So. We hope that uh, indeed uh, through this act, uh, because it's a 76 bill, um, as it goes to uh, the NCOP and provinces, there'll be concurrent, uh, especially for those that really believe um, this bill cannot be delayed anymore for enactment. Uh, the, the role of uh, the Minister of Finance. We have a tendency of uh, sending everything to the Minister of Finance who have their own primary a responsibility uh, uh, in, in, uh, at the macroeconomic uh, level, uh, at um, ensuring the fiscal management. Um, uh, we have these other ministries so that these ministers uh, can end uh, their, their, their positions. Uh, and, um, the, but we agree with the, those that say there must be checks and balances, including that parliament must also execute its responsibility uh, that uh, the, the uh, law enforcement uh, agencies, the AG's office, independent agencies, uh, we have just strengthened the capacity of uh, the AG's office to appoint at, uh, at wrong and uh, also to ensure accountability. So we have learned as a young democracy uh, to strengthen the checks and balances and that we were able to uh, identify during COVID um, uh, the shenanigans, the, the corruption, uh, the irregular breaches that were there, and also reclaim the money uh, uh, lost, some of the money lost. Uh, it shows that uh, we are determined and uh, we, we should be resilient. Uh, uh, co uh, corruption cannot defeat us uh, as a formidable nation. Uh, we must defeat it. Um, uh, so the Minister of Finance has his primary responsibility. Otherwise, if he executes, uh, who is going to ensure uh, also oversight in terms of resource, resource management? Uh, and also there are those that are saying the president uh, should also have a say. Uh, perhaps uh, the, the portfolio committee could consider the appointment of the board by cabinet uh, at the recommendation of uh, the minister of, uh, of, of, of health in this regard. Uh, that's another option that, uh, that uh, we are open to. Um, uh, however, if you constrain the capability of the Minister of Health to manage the health sector, 
uh, it would be a greater risk uh, uh, to the health system uh, and, and the health of the people. Honorable uh, uh, Gela, uh, oh, oh, I think Honorable Sokacha, it's it's a, it's the issue of um, a single uh, funding pool as a purchaser role of medical schemes. Um, I think Dr. Moluko has dealt with that. Um, uh, we not we not uh, uh, averse to uh, medical schemes being a, a top up. Um, uh, 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 to um, a mandatory contribution. Uh, the principles that uh, we believe would make the NHI project uh, successful in the best interest of uh, South Africans uh, are the principles that we have uh, sent through uh, in uh, the detailed uh, submission, the principles of health uh, as a right, uh, universal access that it is free at the point of use, uh, that um, uh, there must be choice of a provider within the district, uh, mandatory contribution to pay, uh, but according to ability to pay, uh, that is social solidarity, and also that no one who is eligible will be allowed to opt out of the NHI. Uh, and if these minimum uh, principles have been uh, accommodated in terms of the NHL part so that it is uh, sustainable, uh, then um, uh, I think uh, you know, we can actually engage on uh, uh, what, 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 what South Africans, they have to top up. If I want to um, do plastic surgery to my nose, um, maybe what, make it smaller, make it bigger, whatever. Um, uh, and uh, there is a, a medical insurance around that. Uh, I guess um, you know um, the, the, the comprehensive healthcare services, uh, basic healthcare services, comprehensive, including tertiary services, would be catered for, and that could be what uh, the medical aid um, uh, uh, pays. So I think it's an issue that uh, uh, can be looked at, um, but after the mandatory contributions have been. Uh, 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 met uh, by everybody who is uh, uh, expected to. Uh, the, 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 uh, in terms of uh, member Gela, um, a reasonable targets for health expenditure of the GDP, I think we've already heard that uh, uh, the, GB, the, the expenditure uh, of GDP to health already in South Africa is reasonable. It is how we use it. Um, uh, 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 both by in the public and private sector um, uh, as such. And uh, a lot of uh, ordinary South Africans can get better uh, outcome out of that health uh, expenditure already. Uh, the, the cabinet committee to appoint the board and uh, a board, um, I, I would we have made a submission here that uh, uh, the board should appoint the CEO in consultation with the minister uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a safeguard but also for the board to also um, uh, be empowered uh, to hold the CEO accountable as an accounting authority. Um, uh, member Chilizi, uh, constitutionality, we've talked about it, freedom of choice. I did allude to a choice at the district level um, uh, 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 and um, the issue of uh, the bill being regressive, we, we did uh, talk about it. I think uh, uh, the constitution um, is indeed progressive. The uh, UN um, system is progressive so that no one is left behind. 
So I, I don't understand, or maybe the member or the people who believe that needs to be assured that they, uh, they will not be left behind. Uh, I don't know how, how else we do it except through this process. Uh, slide 17, the role of multilateral structures. I think uh, Dr. Maloko has, has dealt with it. Um, um, uh, challenging the powers of minister, I think uh, that we've dealt with it. Uh, and that um, uh, taxation, all uh, public services, which the state is accountable for, uh, they come from, from tax, it's a contribution. Uh, and um, the, the, the NHI should, uh, or the NHI fund should not be uh, treated um, uh, differently. Uh, uh, Honorable uh, Chair, Jacobs, uh, the contradictions on the um, Minister of uh, Finance not supporting. Um, at some stage when I presented uh, this matter because I, I was uh, requested to chair the NHI task team by the African National Congress, I presented this matter uh, and I was asked to uh, provide evidence uh, by uh, the leadership of, uh, of, of government that uh, if I have evidence, I must provide it and they will only um, uh, 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 respond to me if I have evidence because they have no evidence that any minister of health, I mean, any minister of finance uh, is against the NHI because this bill is a bill uh, from cabinet uh, as a whole. It was signed off by the whole of cabinet. So I also call on uh, yourselves, um, uh, honorable members or any member of the public whatsoever if you have evidence of any minister of, uh, of finance or any official in finance in the finance department who is against the bill, uh, perhaps um, we have to listen to them uh, and uh, 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 maybe make them understand that actually this will enable um, uh, the, the country to be more productive. Uh, it will enable the economy uh, to even recover better uh, and and uh, it is also a constitutional obligation uh, that uh, that uh, uh, they have to to look at it, to assist us on how to do it uh, in a manner that they think uh, could uh, succeed, other than uh, them uh, 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 being a barrier. We we hear this; it's just a rumor. I haven't uh, uh, been able to. I've made in all my meetings. I've called for evidence. Um, and I've addressed uh, the business sector, I've addressed health professionals, I've addressed many, or we have as a, as a, a task team on NHI in the, in the ANC. We've addressed many forums. Uh, this matter keeps on coming, but we as yet don't have any evidence thereof. Uh, the last issue uh, that you've raised, Honorable um, Chair, is that based on the lessons from COVID, um, um, uh, what lessons can we take from COVID? I didn't really get the issue of uh, uh, testing resulting in marginalization of the poor uh, at all. Um, but I have seen many testing sites in the private sector uh, being able to also test the poor uh, and then uh, building a, a government. Um, uh, but there are those, including myself, I was chased away uh, from one of the testing centers in a private hospital. Uh, after I was called to come and uh, take uh, my vaccine against COVID, I went there, but I was chased away because I didn't have a medical aid, um, a medical insurance. Um, uh, however, uh, I was able to access the same from another private health um, uh, facility, which uh, sent me an invite 
and I went there like anybody else, uh, not asking for any favors. Uh, and many other people were, were asked to come with medical aid, went to uh, the public sector, and uh, they were awed with the, the quality of service that the professional service they received. So if there's one thing that we must take from COVID is that uh, uh, there is um, just one country that we belong to, and that is South Africa, and that uh, the constitution of the country protects all of us and accords all of us the right uh, to quality uh, health care, uh, and that uh, the NHI brings us closer to universal health uh, care, and some of the, the principles include access to services on the basis of need, uh, the state must bear a constitutional obligation to provide access to healthcare services, and the state is obliged to provide the needs of those with the most urgent need for care. When uh, there is an injury on site, we categorize priority one, priority two, uh, priority three, according to the injuries. Uh, and uh, you can have someone lifted because of the severe uh, injuries compared to the others. Um, and then funding of services being based on assessment of need, as well as the NHI uh, being publicly funded and administered. Uh, those are the principles that we believe uh, would make uh, the NHI act uh, sustainable and um, serve South Africans better. Thank you. Uh, I think we did say we didn't hear the question from uh, Member Harvard. Member Howard, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Samakopa and Malopo, uh, for those responses. Member Howard, are you able to raise that question now? I must also be mindful, uh, honorable members, that the sitting is starting at 2 o'clock. Um, and I still have a number of uh, points I need to discuss in the portfolio committee. So, uh, this member of it, as you might have left to, um, to attend the, uh, the sitting. Are you here, member of it? Yes, Chair. Can you repeat your question, please? Okay, thank you. Thank, thank you. I'm just repeating my question again. Can the ANC clarify further why is letter 24 says that the issue of extra taxation is a myth? Thank you. Yeah. Did you. Did you understand that? Okay, the question speaks to... Chair, um, is, is, is it the issue of extradition? The extra taxation, yes, at oh, the moment. Extra taxation, okay. I think I have uh, asked Dr. Samuluko to also respond, to give us response to that. We have... Uh, yeah, as the ANC put it very clear that uh, the bill gives the details of the sources of funds and um, the manner in which the issue of extra taxation is being raised um, is uh, it, it's relatively misleading. As the sources of funds are from the current, uh, the, 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 the current uh, 
resources that are available. And uh, it will be from text, it will be the contribution from those that can be able to contribute, including the employers and wherever it is uh, uh, necessary. Uh, what is what, what will be done is that uh, there will be money that will be allocated uh, that will be allocated for the fiscals, especially for those people uh, to, to cover those people that would not be in a position to uh, to contribute. I, I, there are just a few questions that I thought, uh, Chairperson, if you allow, that had not been that had not been covered, uh, that were very direct. And I thought that maybe if we cover them, the rest of the questions then we could be, because of time, leave them for us to answer them uh, in writing. Can I proceed, Chairperson? I cannot, I, I don't hear well, uh, 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 Doctor. I can give you three minutes. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. On the issue of the powers of the ministers, my plea is that uh, the portfolio committee should uh, uh, accept the fact that when we make the laws, we do not make them for individuals. They are not also, they are also not being made for political parties, but they are made for a government, for structures, for systems, so that they can then be able to uh, 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 to run. On the issue of um, that uh, was direct, that was uh, a question that uh, related to um, immigrants. Um, I just wanted to highlight here that because it was said, how is it going to be done? The, 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 the portfolio committee would in fact be requested to, in their oversight, uh, be looking, be uh, um, uh, interacting with the National Department of Health and the National Treasury, because they have been directed that, in collaboration, they must develop measures that help budget allocations takes account of population movements. So not only uh, the uh, external or from other immigration from other countries, but also the population movements that are inside the country. It went further to say measures should be developed by the health sector to address the burden on the health system that is a consequence of international patients using the public health system without assistance provided by sending countries or international health agencies and institutions. So this is one issue that the National Department, the, the Department of Health and the Treasury can be held accountable for. There was also a question around litigation. Um, it has been said that for us to be able to resolve some, the, the issues around medical malpractice, medical insurance, and litigation, um, that uh, this hazards must be decreased through improving clinical care, introducing uh, mediation, and the use of legal tools. And this was said because it was realized that the problem of medical malpractice, medical insurance, and litigation is not only affecting the public sector, but it affects the private health, the health sector too. So the policy on curbing high cost of medical insurance and litigation against medical uh, malpractice should be developed. And we will be looking at that to check and see as to whether um, this work is being done or not. There was a question that was asked by Mayor Wilson as to what people are paying at the clinics. At the clinics, people are not paying. And I think that maybe it is at this point, um, at this point where we should put it very clearly that if we are talking about the district health system, at the top of the pyramid of the district health system, we have got a district hospital. 
and the human resources and other resources that are going to the community health centers and the clinics. They are usually accounted for by the systems and the structures that are existing at the level of the district uh, hospital. That is the reason why the district, uh, the, the primary health care has always had at, at its top a district hospital. And the regional hospitals and the academic hospitals and central hospitals have been in what we call the hospital services, even in terms of the structure of the Department uh, of Health. We should also note that the issues that have been raised about the central hospitals, they are in fact um, set very clearly in the National Health Act, where the central hospitals belong to the, uh, belong to the, uh, um, um, it, it, it's a national competence. Uh, I, I, will, I, will, I will just, uh, there was also a question that was saying, taking money from Peter to Paul. And I would say that take the money that we are talking about for the NHI, there is no money that belongs to Peter and there's no money that belongs to Paul. All the money belongs to the um, people of South Africa and the ANC would like to have a unified system where the money belongs to all, not to Peter or to Paul. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, anyone else? Is Ms. Potrita going to say anything? I'm about to close this section, uh, Dr. Muloko. Honorable members, we've just received the uh, presentation from the African National Congress. I want to thank the presenters, all three of them. Of course, uh, we are, are reminded about our role, uh, and it's also, also being reminded presentation and responses to the question. Our role uh, is to recognize that healthcare is a fundamental human right and also as a reminder that the objective of the NHI bill is to provide universal access to quality healthcare for all South Africans as enshrined in the Constitution and that we have an obligation as the legislative arm to uh, we do these uh, hearings as we have been doing for the past two years and to do our work, uh, which has used to then pass legislation. With that having been said, I, wonder, I am going to provide a final opportunity to one of the two, uh, Dr. Tunoko or Ramapopa, to do some concluding remarks. And then we are going to deal with some other issues very quickly, honorable members. And I'm trying, really trying to speed up time, recognizing that we have a sitting at Tuesday. Dr. Ramahopa or Dr. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, very briefly, uh, Chairperson, Honorable Chairperson, and Honorable Members, uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. I think that the, the work that Parliament is doing on reaching out on the National Health Insurance Bill is so critical because this is a very important bill that um, goes to the heart, not just of our constitution, but also to the, the long struggle that we refer to in our uh, um, input. In, in slide 14 of our input, um, we talk about, uh, based on the world, what the World Health Organization referred to as the systems building blocks. It talks about service delivery, it talks about information, it talks about human resources, and it talks about uh, finance. 
as amongst the building blocks of um, a national health uh, uh, system. Um, and therefore, this is very critical part of that because your finance speak to all of those other areas. Um, and they, th this is therefore an appeal to parliament uh, uh, to ensure that this goal uh, goes through, that the necessary improvements are being made. But it certainly is an important milestone in the history of, the, of, of our democracy. And thank you very much to the Health Committee for spearheading this process. Um, and thank you very much to Parliament. Thank you very much again. Uh, honorable members, uh, you are welcome to stay on for a few minutes. There will be a time when I'm going to request uh, all of those who are not members of the Portfolio Committee or the host for the committee to take a
good afternoon and thank you, Chair. We I have submitted a letter to IR requesting them to assist us uh, in organizing the study tour. And the country that has been identified is the UK. The committee will travel on the 25th if it's it's approved. 25th of March and return on the 2nd of April. Thank you, Chair. We are waiting for their response. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Honorable members, uh, we have come to the conclusion of this part of, of our meeting. I have indicated that I'm going to request all other persons who are on our platform to please excuse us. Uh, we are going to retain only the members of the uh, of the National Assembly or members of the Portfolio uh, Committee on Health and our uh, Committee Secretary and or host, if it's not the same uh, person, on our meeting. So I'm going to give you a minute or so to leave our platform. Thank you very much for joining us once again. Um, and we appreciate all of the inputs which were given to them. Thank you. Just stay on the platform, please. members of the media and Ms. Majolamba will assist me to ensure that it's only us on the system, the ones whom I have noted want to be on the system. 